coming to you from high atop our studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 19. In today's show, we welcome back Keith, who makes his triumphant return back from NAB 2015 representing Tech Move. We'll talk all about the experience, the people, and the gear. Plus, we'll have some breaking news to share. I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go. Fresh on the heels of NAB 2015, where by now the whole show has wrapped up, we welcome back to the tech move world, Keith Moreau. Keith, how's it going? It's great. It's great to be back on our at our headquarters in the San Francisco Bay Area, high atop the peaks, looking over, seeing the fog rolling in. It's great to be back. Rather than the heat and dust of Lost Vegas, is that correct? <laughs> Lost. <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> yeah. It was it was pretty hot. It was pretty dusty. It was pretty windy. Uh mostly wanted to stay inside when I was there. Well, and you know, and and that's the main thing because, you know, being at NAB, I'm sure that's really your only option. There's got to be so much to see and of of which we'll be covering here on this special episode dedicated to the NAB 2015. But first of all, uh, welcome back. Thank you. And uh, glad glad to have you back. Glad you made it uh, back safely. Mm -hmm. And uh, just want to say that we've got a ton of stuff that we want to cover today. And uh, we are excited to bring you a whole bunch of cool information, some uh, blockbuster news, and all kinds of neat stuff that Keith found out while digging around and spying on companies while over at NAB. So, Keith, uh, your assignment is finished. Let's report on what happened at NAB 2015. Okay. Well, um, Veronica, my g- girlfriend, and I, and production and tech move production assistant. Shall I right. say <laughs> that, that pr- production assistant uh, Veronica? She uh, she and I uh, stayed at the Mandarin Oriental uh, Mandarin Oriental Hotel, and uh, if you haven't heard of that hotel, it's actually amaz- an amazing hotel. It's I believe we have one here in San Francisco. Really, Mandarin Oriental? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yep. Have you I think it's da- I think I think it's down uh, on. Um, like somewhere around Sansom or something like that, I want to yeah. say. But well, anywho, yeah, and I and I chose it. It was kind of random in a way because I actually wanted to get uh, a hotel that was really close to NAB. Um, but actually, a lot of them were booked even when I even though I booked the hotels like three or four months ago. Um, so, but this one looked really good. And the thing that was that looked pretty cool about this is there were no con- casinos in it. It's just a very and well. Then why go for crying out loud? <laughs> I'm not really into gambling, and she's right. not really into gambling so um but actually it just turned out to be a great choice and i'd definitely go back there um it's just if you have a chance rod you should check it out the mandarin oriental hotel is a uh a beautiful beautiful uh collection 
of hotels located around the world. Mm. And uh, yes, they are located in San Francisco oh, as cool. well. And I was correct on Sansom Street. Correct, as I usually am. Yeah. But anyway, with this Las Vegas one, the, I mean, they have a certain standard there. So it must have been just fantastic. It was fantastic. And it just, it kind of seemed like you weren't, when you were in the hotel, you weren't actually in Las Vegas. Yeah. It was just very rarefied. I mean, it just smelled great. It's just kind of a new agey kind of Asian thing. You know, they have a spa in it, and they have all these great restaurants in it, and the, and the views are great, and all the decoration. It's it's I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's one of those places where I'm sure you can just open up your luggage and never need to leave. If you yeah, if you didn't want to leave the hotel, that would be fine. Yeah, that, you that would just work. stay there and relax. Yeah. And eventually, you'd run out of money, but <laughs> right, because it's it's not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in Vegas is that, but uh, yes, this one in particular is is of that ilk. It's yes. up there, but it but it's worth it. It's worth it for the experience. But anyway, so we got there on Saturday, kind of actually in the middle of the day. But by the time we unpacked and kind of checked stuff out, there was really wasn't that much time to to go to the NAB show to see what might have been there. So we actually um, went the next day early. May I back up for mm -hmm. just one moment? Because this is one thing that fascinates me throughout uh, traveling uh, in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, first of all, let me ask you, did you rent a car? No, I decided I did not want to rent a car. I didn't want to have to deal with that. That is an excellent decision uh, <laughs> because uh, sometimes obtaining a rental car in Las Vegas can take upwards of the entire time you're you're, you're scheduled to stay there. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, it, it's 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 a long, it's a long thing. Anyway, well, that's that's a great. So, what you took cabs or or whatever? Yeah, we took cabs, and we actually, you know, it's kind of cool. Is anybody actually has a shuttle that that goes all day to various hotels? Oh, and, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. and it was even running uh, on Saturday, Sunday. No, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, so so for that, so when you arrived, you had to yeah, but actually yourself yeah, and we actually like to exercise and we like to walk, so we just decided to kind of get a get a feeling for Las Vegas by walking from our hotel to the to the uh, Las Vegas Convention Center, um, and then when we told the the bellman when we were leaving, is how you're going to get there? I said, well, we're just going to walk. <laughs> what? <laughs> Like, <laughs> right. It was like he was, and he actually just immediately ran to his kiosk of of waters, you know, bottled waters. And <laughs> you're gonna need this, and ace bandages <laughs> to tape up your ankles. Yeah, all kinds of travel aids, little emergency beepers, and other things. But uh, yeah, so, but we, you know, we we looked at the map and we knew that we could do it, so we walked. But walking in Vegas is is a little tedious because you can't just walk straight to a place. Right. Um, you have to kind of use all these overpasses and things and go backwards and forwards and backtrack. And so it took, it probably took about an hour and a half to walk there. <laughs> is, is the Mandarin on the strip itself or is it away from the strip? It's actually right, pretty much right on the strip. Okay. Um, but right. it's weird because I think there, there's kind of a space issue in Las Vegas, which is kind of odd, but um, in some cases there's just not a lot of space to build hotels now that are centrally located. So they're starting to build upward they're starting to build a lot of skyscraper type hotels, yep. and that's that's this one. So yep, it's pretty exactly. tall, but it's not that large of a hotel. Right, it's kind of in the middle of everything. Um, right, it's just, just tall, just tall, and it's just kind of tucked in. Um, but uh, 
yeah, so we walked and we, we kind of got a little bit of the feeling of Las Vegas and, you know, a feeling that we don't necessarily, you know, like that much, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with sure. all the, you know, passing by a ca- uh, casino and like all the smoke blowing out towards us and choking. Oh yeah, sure, sure, but, sure, sure, yeah. sure. But, and, uh, and, and the 20 some odd year olds that are just out there to get blasted beyond belief. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but you know, there's some good and bad things. There were some interesting little, you know, oasis along the way, but we eventually made it. Uh, we got in there. We were a little, it's so huge. You know, the, the Las Vegas convention center is just gigantic and, uh, you're not quite sure where to go, but we went into the main kind of entrance hallway and immediately went to get uh, register as press. Right. So we went up to the press room. I think I might've, uh, texted you a photo of that, uh, press press room. I, I I did see it and it was fantastic <laughs> and uh, it, it was great. Did did they ask for uh, if if I was joining you? They were really disappointed that you weren't there. Ah, oh, I'm yeah, sure of it. Gave them our sure. and they said, "Wait a second, where's Rod?" <laughs> they were like looking around, looking behind us. They were sent people out to find you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I hope you got my presidential suite. Uh, yeah, that it, came in handy. Thank you. Good. Your you're, your connections you're very, really no. You're yeah. very welcome. Yeah, very, very diplomatic welcome. connections really help out, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but the but the press room was honestly kind of depressing. It was gigantic. Just a bunch of tables. It it's looked a, like yeah. just a bunch of tables, chairs, and that's about it. Yeah, it's a bunch of tables, chairs, stuff written on the wall, press releases taped up to the wall, bunch of not very happy looking people at their computers kind of sweating you know trying to get the next story i guess or i don't know what they were doing so that that was actually the first and last time we were in the press room <laughs> oh is that right you, you you did not go in there for any real pressing there was no reason for us to go in there right you know all the all the information i mean it's like we don't have to be there for the first second of some major announcement right and you know and also most of the most of the the vendors that we we're exhibitors we we're interested in you know they we knew what they were going to be announcing that day, the, the, that Monday. So, the picture that you sent me reminded—I actually thought for a moment that you were there for an Amway demonstration. <laughs> so yeah. I thought you were going to come back and sell me a bunch of paper towel products. <laughs> yeah, and they make a big thing of you know free Wi-Fi and free refreshments and stuff like that for the press. And there's just like a little table and with some coffee and you know donuts on it and. At least the donuts might have been good, but <laughs> and the and the Wi-Fi was like you you could never get on it, <laughs> so or it was like one one bit per minute speeds. Right. So no, actually, I, no, actually, that's not true. We actually did use the, their Wi-Fi a lot uh, later, and I'll tell okay. you um, what we actually wound up doing for a lot of the show. Our our main so there's this um, show uh, that's done by Geek. Beat TV, and, okay. And if, if you, do you know Callie Lewis? I don't know her. Oh, okay. She's kind of a semi-famous podcaster for years, and she oh. she has this show called Geek Beat TV. Okay. And uh, anyway, she's there, and a bunch of other people that you might hear on podcasts or see on video podcasts or video kind of tech channels like Tech TV, um, or Revision Three or, or those channels. I uh, I know them. Yeah. So they there was kind of like a little uh, open air studio there. And so they had a kind of a panel uh, that would fit three people. And then two of them were usually hosts, and then they usually had a third, which was a guest. And they just ran this continuous live broadcast to the Geek Beat channel 
the whole like the whole show. Oh, neat. Yeah, but in the audience, there were a bunch of tables, and two of the tables had uh, six six chairs and six spots to essentially sit down and plug in and recharge your stuff. And it had these really neat little adapters that had all the different types of connectors you might need to charge your device. So they had the lightning connectors and the old uh, iPod connectors, and they had the USB micro connectors and all these things, and these little kind of fan like octopuses. In the middle oh, of the very table. cool yeah very and the, cool and what's cool is what's kind of interesting is that these people were just continue the the broadcasters were continually you know having this show but most of the audience wasn't even paying attention to them like they were we were just all talking to each other and having meetings and 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 charging our devices and doing other stuff and kind of ignoring this probably pretty good show that was going on <laughs> Well, I guess they uh, they probably figure eh, they'll come back to this just like uh, our listeners are doing right now too. Eh, we'll our come li- back to this. Our listeners are plugging in, charging, not even listening to us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> it's exactly the same. Right. <laughs> even though they spent, even though Geek Peak probably spent a fortune doing live streaming and stuff like that, right? Oh yeah, that was yeah. actually a pretty uh, major production. They have all these little these um remotely mounted cameras up a little bit like eight feet high just just out of reach all along the edge so they could change angles and zoom in and and kind of remotely pan them if they needed to oh nice yeah and then they had a little they had a pretty big monitor of what was actually showing up there so but it was it was kind of cool because i saw a lot of the people that i in person and live that i only see on tv so yeah very good yeah that was pretty cool that was actually just like uh our fine listeners were able to do with you see you live and in person which is uh which is (laughs) nice especially uh important for our uh throngs of fans uh in the tech move world yeah i actually Um, had to wear a disguise most (laughs) most of the time that's right that's right (laughs) that's Um, right no i actually did get a chance to meet some some fans which is great great yeah it's nice to get that that feedback no, that's great. That, yeah. that, 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 that is awesome. Uh, so, uh, you know, how, how about, okay, what, you went there on, your first official day was, was the Sunday, right? right? When you went into the press room and yeah. stru- stuff like that. Yeah. At that particular point, were there a lot of people in, in, in the convention center or not really? It was really Because it really doesn't officially uh, start until Monday, correct? Correct. Although they do have sessions even starting on Saturday. They have this whole learning thing. They have tons of rooms that have projectors in them and large uh, areas, audience areas. Um, and so actually a lot of the rooms and a lot of people were there for this kind of learning track as well. You can pay a lot of money and get a learning track. As press, I actually had access to all of that, which was great. Nice. Yeah. I didn't use very much of it, but um, because there weren't really any exhibitors open, I actually did on that Sunday, I did uh, watch a few of them. So, or at least parts of you. A couple of them, they were they looked interesting, but then when I got there, I realized I pretty much knew everything that they were talking about and probably could give the seminar myself. But, right. in fact, a lot of the things they would say, I just, no, that's not right. Right. You're wrong. <laughs> Get off the stage. So, so, so were they kind of like workshops and stuff like that? Yeah, uh, they were workshops. Actually, yeah. the one that I thought was really good was um, done by the guy that runs uh, the C47. And I think I posted um, a little Twitter I did. I did a Twitter feed. It was actually kind of cool because I don't do Twitter that much, right? And so I kind of learned how to do Twitter on this trip too, <laughs> like really do it well. Yeah, um, uh, and, and I, I for one really enjoyed it. I I thought that that worked out really really well. Yeah, and and if anybody's listening to it and wants to see the Twitter feed, it's not it's not super lively right now, but there's 
you can go into the past and look us up. It's just Tech Move Podcast. At tech, it's at Tech Move Podcast. So you can just check that out on Twitter. But the guy that I liked, I only was there for about an hour, but his name is Jim Schofield, and he has a website called thec47.com. And I actually like his website. He's not he doesn't do a lot of stuff nowadays because I think he's kind of busy. Um, but he has a lot of great information on gear and stuff. And he has this little room where he does demos and kind of talks about stuff. But he actually, you know, I think he's kind of gotten the attention of a lot of the manufacturers now. And he's done a bunch of stuff for like Canon and, and um, Westcott and a bunch of other companies. You know, like I think they hire him to be a, an expert because he's, he's pretty technical and actually are pretty artistic too. So if you're, if you looked at any of the Canon C300 Mark II um, kind of promos, he actually did the behind-the-scenes uh, filming of those. So nice. I guess Canon hired him for that. Anyway, I went up to him, I met him, introduced myself, and we tried to arrange an interview, but it just didn't work out with our timing. But we'll probably have him on a future podcast because he's actually, I think he'd be a good guy for us to have on our show. Excellent. Yeah. but we'll um, Look forward to that. Yeah. And then there was another one on how to do 4K workflow, and I didn't think that was all that great um there was another one that i thought it was going to be really excellent called um how to make a killer demo reel oh yeah and the guy i think the guy i think it seemed like a last minute pres- uh, put together because it seemed like they he just didn't have it together like a lot of stuff he tried to play didn't work well like he tried oh, to yeah i hate that oh yeah. i hate that yeah he's trying to rely on i guess the wi-fi there or something and oh and it what things weren't playing and so it just it wasn't and he played a lot of stuff that other people made kind of, kind of as examples, which is great. But, you know, I can just do that by going to Vimeo, you know? Right. Exactly. I don't have yeah. to go to a NAB to see this. Exactly. So, yeah. That's right. So I, I think there probably were some great, great conferences there, sessions, but um, I didn't have really the time to see a, see too many of them. Um, so about like one out of three were okay for me. Like awesome. I learned something. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, but then we had extra time in between some of these conferences on Sunday, so Veronica and I, and I decided to just walk around and and uh, like see where where we wanted to definitely interview uh, some of these exhibitors, and so we went to where they were located and looked at their setup, so we can kind of get a scope it out. Um, like the first, I, the Canon uh, was one of the primary ones I wanted to interview, so I actually went to their area. And their area was still being constructed. And this was like Sunday, not not that early on Sunday. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and actually there's a little Twitter video, and we might even uh, put it on our website, of, of me just talking in front of this gigantic Canon kiosk. And uh, Yeah, I saw it, and I think, that, I think all the material we should make available on our uh, website, too. Yeah, yeah. Which, I think that, if, hopefully that's not too hard to do. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, so... But it was, but it was kind of cool just being there while all this stuff was being put up. You know, it was it was kind of ugly. You know, it, it didn't look oh, yeah. it didn't look pretty. But it was it's it's the behind the scenes thing that's 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 pretty cool. You know, we had to kind of get out of the way of the forklifts and the the cranes and all the different things that were constructing these things. And I and it seemed kind of dangerous in some cases. You know, there, there was yeah. like power wires and things. And and I was you know, I thought at any moment I would just kick be kicked out. You know, because I was actually just talking to this microphone uh, to to Veronica um, filming me, right? And, and but nobody cared, you know. Yeah. So uh, that part was good. Um, and actually, that kind of brings me to how we recorded the video and audio of 
of these uh, interviews um, and just in general. Um, so one of the things that I, so Veronica's um, not a professional camera person, so, but um, she's, you know, she's got a good eye. But one of the things about just in general is when you, when you have a small camcorder, there's a lot of things that you can kind of screw up because just looking at it, it's just the viewfinder is so small. Like you can't tell if things are in focus or the exposure or framing. It's it's much harder when you have a really small screen. That's right. Yeah. So I kind of made the decision early that since Veronica was going to do it, she'd have a much better shot of getting a good image by just having an iPad. And it wasn't like we needed the superlative quality of a DSLR or something like that or a small camcorder. So, but and the convenience of having essentially the viewfinder being the device. <laughs> And a pretty, yeah. you know, like a 10 inch or so screen um, was w outweighed any other maybe technical benefits of it. So the only issue was how do I get good sound into it? Because I wanted to have a good mic and have an XLR mic plugged into it. And so, and I probably, I should have planned on that, planned on this a long, a long time ago, but I didn't. I waited to the last minute. <laughs> And you, 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 and all the exhibitors at NAB. <laughs> so the the morning, actually, that Saturday morning before I left, I actually cobbled together a DIY adapter <laughs> to make to make the uh, the XLR output of this microphone work in uh, and go into the iPad. Oh, and, so you 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 made this adapter yourself? Well, I basically just plugged a few existing cables and adapters I had into each other to oh, to okay. kind of make it kind of work so you increased the ipad weight by about five pounds is that correct and, and and then having all these things dangle out of the charge port uh yeah where, where it could probably damage everything yeah i increased the risk and weight factor by a factor of 20 no actually no it wasn't too bad i actually so i have a really nice microphone it's actually not a new microphone it's it's one i used to use when i used to sing in a band but the reason I got it was it's a super hypercardioid type pattern. Like it's really directional. It's like it's almost like a shotgun mic. Yeah. And it's called the AKG C1000S. And the thing that's cool about this is it's either phantom power powered or it's battery powered. It's got a 9 volt battery in it, receptacle in it too. So in this case I didn't have phantom power. The the iPad doesn't have phantom power. So I just used the battery, the onboard battery and then had the XLR going out. And then I had that to uh, an XLR to a what is actually a, a normally used for a camcorder. It's it's an AV cable. So if you look at um, some of the cables, like if you look at, um, do you have any um, like headsets that plug into your iPhone? Oh, plenty. Yeah. So if you look the, at the one, the one eighth inch, yeah, uh, little uh, stereo jack, right? And yep. Um, what's and, a, what's available on every? Uh, cell phone right now essentially right but the thing is that they also there's also a mic connector as well so if you just put regular headphones in it's fine the mic connector isn't there's no real actual connector on that for headphones right. but right. if you put a headphones that have a mic in it as well then the microphone essentially the input the sound input to the ipad is actually a little it's one of the rings on on the eight that's right it, to, to to have the microphone ladies and gentlemen you got to have the three ringed male eighth inch connector correct yeah so i it's kind of a common connector it's, it's considered an av connector so it's usually it's used in a lot of camcorders and other analog devices in the past like it's more of an older connector but it's used to carry both the audio 
to audio, stereo, left and right, and the video signal. So that video signal is that, that fourth band in there. Well, what I did was I made an adapter and I plugged it into what normally is the video part of the cable. But it, in this case, for an iPad or an iPhone, it's it's the audio input. Right. So I just fashioned this connector and I tested it out at home and lo and behold, it worked. Yeah. Um, the only thing that didn't work was headphone monitoring. For some reason, I think it's possible to, to hear back um, what you're recording. But for some reason, this connector didn't work, this this self-made one. I, there's other ones that are out there that supposedly do this. You can pre-buy. I just didn't have to, time to buy it. I tried to order one and have it sent direct to the hotel, and it would have gotten to me too late. So it, that wouldn't work. So I just had to use this kind of DIY thing. Right. And uh, it was also a little, it seemed a little unreliable, which I didn't realize until I listened to one of the interviews, one of the early interviews, luckily. <laughs> right. And I heard some dropouts, and then I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why it was dropping out. And I think it was just because the connector was slightly, it's, it's you know, these plug-in connectors, they're not very positive, And if you just slightly pull it out a little bit, it'll disconnect. That's and, right. Yeah. So. It, um, it, especially if you're interconnecting, you know, another adapter to it right and i had like three in a row yeah so so yeah. there it, it could have been in any one of that chain yeah and i kind of figured it out after when we went to our little resting area at the the geek beat <laughs> tv studio <laughs> um i i troubleshot it you know and and kind of figured out this is one connector that was the most unreliable so i just made sure that before each interview i kind of played with it and made sure it was tight could you, a la Roger Daltrey, could you have used like electrical tape, taped it together for a more sure connection? Darn, should have thought of that. No, um, <laughs> you know, it was funny. I, I didn't want to tape it and commit to having a secure connection because what if I taped it and it it got stuck into the bad state? Right. And because Veronica mentioned the same thing, why don't you just tape it up? Yeah. And I said, nah, you know, I want to be able to kind of jiggle it and make it work if it's not right. working. If it's taped, it might be harder to do that. Um, yeah, but, that makes total sense. Yeah, but actually, I think she was right. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think tape would have been better. So what happened was, um, by the time I think we did the second or third interview, this is actually Eric Kessler, and he was really nice because we told him we were kind of troubleshooting our audio, and he said, "Well, you want some Gaffer's tape? I'll get you some." He's just a really nice guy. Yeah, like so, you know, he's like the head of this huge company. He's like taping up my microphone cable so <laughs> so uh, d d did he provide you gaffer tape yeah he did he taped it oh, up nice yeah he oh, taped good. it up for me and actually after that it was really reliable so i guess the taping was the best thing to do uh, I, and i do have to say uh, you know ha having listened to uh to all the interviews already uh it sounded great after that initial little yeah. prob and, yeah. and and you know the prob also was just just a short little itty bitty bit you know it's just one of those things where it kind of comes in and out and it's not for very long and stuff like that, but uh, yeah. And the thing too is, if I had a head, if Veronica had a headphone monitoring on it, she could have she could have um, known when that was happening. But we were just kind of hoping the sound was going to be good. Sure, sure. So, no, you, you know, let me ask you this. Yeah. Okay, we're 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 talking about you know shooting this material on the iPad and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you why you did not use your iPhone six plus. Um, it, you know, it has to do with just the screen size. It's just a smaller monitor. Okay. So, yeah. So if you're using the iPad, you have this pretty big monitor. You can tell when stuff's in focus and, yep. and framing. On a littler thing, it's harder to tell, especially for somebody that's not a professional. Right. You know, like I'm, I'm used to looking at teeny little screens and, and kind of making it work, but Veronica's not 
that doesn't have that experience. So I just wanted to make it, it as foolproof of, as possible for her so that she could, there was a, a better chance for getting a good shot. And the, that, there was something in the footage and, you know, some people may see it and they may not, but, uh, Rod Louie is a trained eye on this. Uh, and that is, you know, when shooting with the iPad, iPhone, any one of these point-and-shoot type of things, you know, your 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 center uh, area is the focus uh, uh, target, correct? Um, actually, with the newest version of iOS, it's, mm -hmm. it's actually a little bit more controllable than it used to be. Oh, really? Because that's what I was going to ask, yeah. and, and I'm too afraid to update <laughs> <laughs> to well, new iOS, so I, I wouldn't uh, do it with your with with your ancient collectible. I have iPad iPhone. three. I have iPad. No, I. Oh, you have the, the iPad three. I'm talking about the. I have the iPad three. Oh, or what they call what what is it? The new iPad. The new iPad. I think, I think is which it, is now like 90 years old by now. The new iPad three that's about two years old. Correct. Yeah, um, that might work on that one. So, so here's another thing. Because we couldn't really monitor the sound, I actually started using a different app for recording the video. And I've had this app forever. It's actually a great app for video if you're into it. It's called Filmic Pro. Filmic Pro. Yeah, it's not very expensive. And okay. the th it's actually, the thing that's cool about it, it actually has little audio meters on it. So even if she couldn't hear the sound, when I tapped the mic, she could she could see that it was actually making a connection. That it wasn't just using like the room, like the, the either no sound at all or just the built-in mic on the iPad. Oh, that's very handy. Yeah. So before we start each recording, I just tap it, and she she note that it was making a little peaky thing on the view meter, on on the uh, the bar meter that's on there on Filmic Pro, and so she'd know it was recording at that point, or that oh, it, the connection good. was good at that point. Yeah, and that's kind of how we verified it. It's not, <laughs> you know, you just have to you kind of have to go with what works. Sure. It's not the best thing. We should have had headphone monitoring. I should have gotten this adapter thing like a month before and tested it, but I just didn't. So. You know, luckily, it kind of most of it kind of worked. Well, you know what, and and that it, it did do exactly that. It worked, and it worked really, really well. Oh, so, well, thank you. And yeah, she did. No, and she I did great, great. Yeah, and she did a great job. She's a trooper out there. She had her her LV purse in on one shoulder, and and my uh, coach uh, man purse on the other shoulder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and holding the equipment, right? And holding the equipment with this makeshift DIY adapter yeah, dang, hanging off the iPad. Yeah, we kind of, and it was kind of interesting because we were always, we were always fearful that somebody would walk through the shot and trip over the adapter and destroy everything. <laughs> right. You know, like just trip <laughs> right. and like fall into the $3,000 camera that we were talking about. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, but actually what was kind of cool is that most of the time, People avoid it. There was only one time that somebody just walked right through the shot, and and you probably see that. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, it's okay. It was, you know, actually I didn't see it, which means I must have just fast forwarded <laughs> through it because um, I because I don't I didn't notice it at all. Well, actually, well, you know what? We should have a contest, great. and and the listener who can identify that interview gets something. And Not the sure something, what. and and the something they get is the unedited version of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh well th 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 that that's uh that's great um yeah. well th th yeah thanks for the great recording because i th i thought that you know and that akg mic really turned out great because i did notice on a couple of the times you know uh you're using the mic uh as as a handheld yeah. essentially which yeah. i'm sure it's really not designed for it's probably not 
Well, you know what? It it's, looks like it's more mic, uh, uh, mic stand based, it, you know, for recording type of thing. Um, not yeah. really live application. I'm not sure. You know, probably it's not the it's not been designed for what I necessarily for what I did, but it actually worked okay because oh, we're great. Yeah, because it had it didn't have much handling noise because I was right. holding it, so I didn't hear any handling noise. So it's got good isolation, and it's super directional, and it sounds really good. It's really high fidelity. And you didn't have to have it up to their like nostrils in exactly. order to hear them. You, yeah. you, you had it at a very nice, uh, comfortable you know distance from them, and it picked up the sound just great. So yeah. it, it was really, really nice. Thanks. And and that actually was another conscious choice, which was, do we you know mic them up and put a lav on them and do all this stuff? And I said, no, we're going to be doing this under pressure. This is total run and gun. Yeah, yeah. We just need to get in there. I need to control. You know the direction of the mic quickly. We need to go wired rather than wireless because that's more complicated and more error prone. Yeah, so I just tried to keep it simple, simple, simple. And I think I think it worked pretty well. And I think that mic is really cool because it it really rejects the off-axis noise. It was really noisy there. But if you listen to the interviews, they're really clear. It's almost oh, like it was they're very in a studio. Clear. No, it, it, it was. It, it sounded like you had the uh, the whole place to yourselves, yeah. and just giving a, an actual studio interview, which was great. Yeah, it was amazing. I was actually kind of amazed just listening back how how isolated they sounded because, like, two feet away from us, there were huge noises. You know, like pinball machine games that they were right. doing at their booth, and really noisy stuff. People yelling, and and most of the time, you can't even hear that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, so that I. I'm really glad that worked out. It just sometimes things just work out. <laughs> no, that and, and and that that is terrific. That 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 is great. Oh yeah, I uh, want to tell you one little story I forgot to tell you about. Um, so on our first day, our we took a cab ride from uh, our hotel, and this, there was a guy in front of us, and the bellman said, uh, "Do you do you want to share a cab?" You know, this guy in front is an older guy, and I said, yeah, we're both going to NAB, and I'd I saw him stuffing his NAB badge into his pocket, and I could I didn't get a chance to to see it before he stuffed it in, right? But I did kind of say, oh, you're you're in NAB, and he kind of like nodded. It seemed like he didn't really want to talk about it, sure. So I didn't really, um, you know, press him on it. But we we got into the was car. this President Barack Obama you're talking <laughs> about? No, no. Uh, he had a German accent. Ah, so okay. um, right. yeah, so we went in the car, and Veronica and I were in the car. And he was in the in the back seat, and he was in the front seat on his own, and so we just kind of started talking. And I just said, "So, so who are you with? You you're you're are you an exhibitor at the show?" And he says, "Yeah." And I said, "So who are you with?" He says, "Well, I'm with Leica." I said, "Oh, great! I love I love Leica. I think they make great great lenses, and their cameras are legendary." And I said, "So what do you what do you do for Leica?" And he says, "Well, I'm actually the owner of Leica." <laughs> <gasps> you mean you met Mister Leica? <laughs> I met. Mr. Leica, his name is not Leica, it's something else. Mm -hmm. um, let me see, he actually gave me his card. Um, oh, yeah, he, and we're going to have to edit this because I'm looking at his card, <laughs> like trying to find his card. <laughs> his name is probably like Lee Jones or something. <laughs> no. Just oh. came up with this cool name, Leica. Yeah, so he at the end, at, when we got out of the car, he actually gave me his card, and he was actually became really nice, and we talked a lot about lenses and and stuff, and they're they're trying to get into cinema lenses, and they have primes right now, and um, and he talked a lot about the technology and all the people, and it was pretty cool. But his name his name is Doctor Andreas Kaufman. 
So ah, very close to Leica. <laughs> similar, similar yeah. in, in, in sound. And his and his title is chairman of the supervisory board. So I guess now uh, is isn't Leica a uh, a company that's been around for like many 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 years or is it just many years? Because if he because if he's the, is he the actual founder of the company? I don't think he's the founder. He's probably just somebody who some maybe I, I have no idea what his maybe his grandpa or something like that was Mister Leica. Maybe 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 okay. it was Mister Leica or maybe just bought into the company. Not right. sure. Well, maybe we'll have him on the show sometime. We'll ask him. Right. How well, did you, how did well, you become the owner of Leica, <laughs> Mister Leica? And, and why don't you have your own private driver? Why are you taking some <laughs> some random like free ride? Yeah. Why are you? Yeah, sharing sharing a ride with me. Can't you afford your right. cab, Mister Leica? <laughs> right. <laughs> Tech move is on a budget. You're not. <laughs> but actually, it worked out great, and that was the start of a, a pretty great day. That's pretty awesome. No, that yeah. it, it, it's it's neat when you can have those you know neat little interviews and and just one offs and stuff like that. That is really really cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So um, yeah. So why don't we listen well, to some of the let, interviews? Let's do this. Let, let let let's do this. Let's let's uh, take a little quick break. Let's reset everything that we need. And we are going to get into some of these great interviews that Keith was able to nab at NAB. <laughs> get that? Thank you very much. You can use that all day long, but you got to pay me a royalty. Uh, so we're going to uh, take a quick break here and get everything all set up. And then we're going to jump right into some of these interviews that Keith has done. And after that, we will uh, review and talk about uh, any last-minute things that Keith came away with from NAB 2015. We've got that and a whole bunch more, so you just sit tight, and we'll be back with more Tech Moves. So for our first interview, we're going to share with you that Keith conducted. We're going to talk to a gentleman by the name of Wes Phillips of Small HD. And uh, Keith, tell me how you secured this interview with uh, with Wes. Uh, well, actually, one of the things I did want to uh, do was find out about the SideFinder. So on Sunday, we actually did go directly to the Small HD booth. And actually, they, they were one of the few booths that was really complete and set up. And I went to one of the folks there, and he gave me his card, and he said, uh, "You can, um, you could probably come back in about half an hour, and we'll we can do the interview here." And I thought that would be good because rather than have all the commotion of all the real people, the 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 show attendees there, uh, have it a little more quiet environment, a little more control. But when we came back later, there was really not that there weren't that many people around, and then um, one of the guys uh, there. That, that was still there. His name was is Wes Phillips. And it turned out that he was probably an even bigger catch than the original guy we were going to get because he's actually the CEO of, uh, of Small HD. 
So, so you're saying that you were almost going to speak to just w- one of the other guys attending the show for Small HD, yeah. but instead you got uh, uh, the, the big cat, we like to say. Got the CEO. Yeah, and That's it turned, nice. Yeah. No offense to the other guy, but uh, <laughs> hey, Wes, uh, you know, that's kind of nice to come from the, uh, from the top dog. Yeah, and um, he, um, so they, they were totally booked. They didn't want to do it then on Sunday. They wanted to do it the next day. And so we looked through his schedule and he had just a printed spreadsheet of, he has a marketing company that, uh, our communications company, PR company that schedules their interviews. So we looked on the sheet and he had a little blank spot around 1130 on, on Monday. So I said, let's do it then. So the next day we showed up around 1120. They had a nice little couch in the middle of their little couch and coffee table thing in the middle of their booth. And we sat down and actually kind of tested out our, recording system <laughs> uh, <laughs> like one of the first times we really tested it to make sure it would work and then we about 10 minutes and we met their communications um, person and talked a bit and then we started the interview well that's fantastic well uh let's listen uh to that interview right now let's get to it and uh and then we'll we'll, we'll comment right after it's uh, it's over with so ladies and gentlemen uh, here is Keith Moreau with Wes Phillips of Small HD right here on Tech Move. Tech Move podcast. We're here at the Small HD booth, and we're here with Wes Phillips. He's the CEO of Small HD, and we're here for an exciting new product from Small HD. Hey, Wes. Hey, Keith. Um, uh, you asked me to tell about the company a little bit, so um, I'm going to do that. So we started off as filmmakers and uh, really launched Small HD after winning a couple of the Doritos Super Bowl ad contests. Um, we've won two of them, which is really insane to me, but that really kind of actually launched us into the idea of making monitors to begin with, and then eventually we won cash to buy inventory for our, our really first successful product, the DP6, about five years ago, and we launched that. Yeah. I actually have the DP6. It's an excellent monitor. It's a, it's a classic. Um, so, yeah, and so we're trying to bring that DP6 mojo back uh, with our new product, the 502. So this is the 502. It's kind of our major upgrade to the DP6. It's got a full 10, uh, 1920 by 1080 resolution, so it's full HD. And we've really developed the user interface from the ground up. It's got this really cool page system that allows you to flip between different presets that are just these completely new pages. And I can show more of them to you that we've set up in advance. And you can just go through and quickly access these things and set them up. And over here, you can add a new one and set up however you want. And so really, it's just designed to make shooting a much faster process to be able to check focus on one page, check exposure on another page, and then get back to your shot, take a look at a a lookup table to see what it's going to look like in post. It's really, really fast. Um, And the next thing that makes this monitor pretty incredible is the attachment of this SideFinder product. Um, This is a, a... basically converts the 502 into uh, a high definition viewfinder and it's uh, again for a, it's a $300 add-on um, that makes this the highest resolution third-party EVF on the market so this product starts this product is a $1,200 product so $1,199 and this uh, the combined total is um, $1,499 so for $1,500 you're getting the highest resolution monitor or EVF and monitor uh, on the market and it really does truly operate as an EVF and a monitor. We've designed it so that it, it's it's very narrow on the camera side, and you get 
it's just it's very fully featured and it works really well uh, from an EVF standpoint. We really spent a lot of time improving over our DP4 design from years ago. Took a lot of lessons, a lot of good uh, feedback on it, and, and Im implemented all of it into this product. And we're really proud of this. That's great, Wes. So when is this product going to be out? So um, we we actually tried doing a thing where we announce a product and start shipping it at the same time and we were partially successful with that. We, we are shipping the 502 today, starting today. You can get this monitor uh, from smallhd.com and very soon in all of our uh, distributors and resellers. And um, the EVF is coming a little bit later. We're saying it's shipping in the summer. We hope to be shipping around Cinegear time. Um, so there's just a couple more things uh, to, to finish up on that. Really, it's just a manufacturing thing. So, But they're, they're incoming and uh, we're very excited about it. About it. That's great, Wes. Well, thank you very much for the interview. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, too. Great. Well, that's Wes Phillips, CEO of Small HD. Got a little bit of history there. Got a little bit of a demo on this exciting new product, the SideFinder and the monitor. And I am Keith Moreau for TechMove. Thank you. Thank you so much, Keith. And uh, you know, that was really a very, very nice one. Wes seems like a very nice guy. He seems like a great guy and um, he seems like a pretty genuine person, you know, and it's, you know, I, I, I kind of didn't remember it, but actually he was the winner of the, one of the Super Bowl Doritos film contests. Yeah. Like he mentions. It. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a pretty interesting story. So, and yeah. a pretty big, uh, pretty big deal. I mean that, yeah. that, that, that that's a big thing. That's a big little. Uh, well, I, I, I guess when he probably did. Was, do you think he was an amateur when when he did that? You know, before I don't all know. the small HD stuff. I'm not sure if he was or not. We'll have to you know dig deeper into his story at some point. Yeah, but maybe um, we can maybe we can hit him up for an interview or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he'd probably be a great interview subject. Right. Um, but one of the things that I that that was, um, I guess, a pleasant surprise was actually the price of the sidefinder and the the uh hd monitor apparently both of them together are fifteen hundred dollars that's right yeah so i when i looked at their website i saw one price for one thing and one for another i thought it was going to be like three thousand dollars and that would that would have been a little bit too expensive but um together uh it's a pretty good deal and i really like the quality of the device and it seems like it's it's definitely something that i'm considering getting did you get to hold it I did a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty was it cool. light? Um, yeah, it's, it's quite light. Or did light. it just seem like nice and sturdy? It was sturdy. Yeah. It was kind of metally, but, um, okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, the, the, the viewfinder side finder thing I think is plastic, but, um, yeah. the frame of the other thing is metal. It That's was, great. it was not bad. It was not bad. Great. Yeah. And, great. uh, yeah. So I, it was, and the thing, it was like our first real interview. So it was a little, we were a little nervous about it just technically and other stuff. Sure. Um, you know, the, and the booth is really crowded at that point. This was at the beginning of the show and everybody was crazy about this product. We actually had to like kick people off so that Wes yeah. could have some room to, <laughs> right. to show his thing. But, um, but yeah, I think it turned out okay. Turned out great. It yeah, turned out great. You. Well, let, let's, uh, let's give it another plug. Uh, you can find them at www.smallhd.com. And we're of course talking about the small HD side finder. And the 502 HD on-camera monitor. And uh, that was Wes Phillips of Small HD. And uh, we've got a lot more interviews coming right up. Uh, so hang with us. This is Tech Move. One of the uh, cool new 
uh, products that's coming out on the market that I know Keith is very excited about is the Phantom 3. And uh, Keith, you want to talk about the Phantom 3 real quick? Uh, what is it? Uh, what does it do? All this kind of neat stuff. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit last episode. It's just the newest version of their Phantom and includes a camera, gimbal, and uh, one of the models does 4K. And it seems like it's a really great price point too. Yeah. It's like twelve or thirteen hundred bucks, so it's a pretty good deal. And um, yeah, so we just walked around. Um, we knew that we wanted to do DJI, so I asked one of the, you know, they have tons of people at the DJI booth. So I just went up to somebody and said, "So who do I talk to? Um, somebody high up about the uh, the new DJI Phantom 3. And He says, "Oh, that's the guy right there." And he kind of pointed through the crowd, like there were twenty people in the way, and like. I could see this guy in the distance right. talking to somebody else. So he said, yeah, talk to him. So, <laughs> yeah, so we kind of like worked our way through the crowd and waited for him to complete his demo with, with somebody else. And usually when you're, when you have a mic in your hand and the press badge, then people, these, these uh, exhibitors will start paying attention to you. Right. So as soon as he was done with this guy, I started talking to him, introduced myself and we started the interview. Now this was before we got um, our, our audio adapter situation completely locked down and solid so you might hear a couple dropouts um where just the sound just drops out and comes back but it wasn't you know it wasn't really it wasn't really important stuff that he was saying he was just saying something like everything is important that comes out of his mouth but that's yeah, okay. it was just stuff stuff you know bad mouthing his competitors and <laughs> unfortunately we missed that <laughs> uh, all right, so so folks, just as a little precursor there, we're going to have a couple dropouts here, and that's only because uh, Keith Moreau's MacGyvering <laughs> skills uh, weren't as quite up to par. Uh, but you know whose MacGyvering skills are up to par is Michael Perry of DJI and the Phantom 3. So here's that interview with Keith Moreau here on Tech Move. Hi, this is Keith Moreau, Tech Move Podcast. We're here at the DJI booth here at NAB 2015. We've got Michael Perry. He is the PR manager. Why don't you talk about yourself a little bit and about your new product? Really excited to share a lot of new things with uh, our customers at uh, NAB 2015. Obviously, one of the most exciting things that people are, are really anxious to check out is the new DJI Phantom 3. And this is already starting to set the bar higher for aerial photography and aerial creation. DJI, iconic phantom form factor. Put into your backpack, but at the same time, it shoots 4K video. And then we also have this downward facing camera that allows you to have a lot more stabilization options if you're indoors or any scenario where you don't have GPS. So you're gonna have a lot stronger flight performance and a lot stronger camera performance with this new platform. That's great, Michael. So I have a question. You recently also introduced another 4K quadcopter. What's the difference between this new DJI Phantom 3 and the Inspire? So the uh, DJI Phantom 3 bridges our older Phantom systems with the Inspire. So obviously it's got a 4K camera on board and it's backpackable. But the Inspire 1 is designed more for people who are looking for very precise camera movements. Obviously one of the key differentiators is that the platform transforms and allows the camera to rotate 360 degrees. That way you can have two operators, one person controlling the platform and the other is controlling the precise angle of the camera. 
Then you also have uh, additional functions uh, in terms of improved flight time or uh, flight capabilities. The Inspire One flies a lot faster. Uh, you have a modular camera setup so that you can take the um, Inspire One camera off and uh, use it with our handheld system that we'll be releasing later on this quarter. So there's a lot more advantages to that, but the Phantom 3 is a great option for anybody who just wants to go out and explore and see the world from a completely new perspective. So that, that's great. Now, the one of the things that I've been a little bit concerned about is that I'm actually a professional videographer, among other things, director. Um, and I've always been a little wary about flying these things, you know, because of legal issues. Do you have anything, any comments about that? Absolutely. So, particularly for professional videographers, I think they'll love this platform because we provide a lot of camera controls into the controller. So that if you're not a professional pilot, in addition to being a professional uh, filmmaker, you're going to be able to control the gimbal, control the start-stop record, even adjust exposure compensation and several other camera features, all from the controller. You don't have to take your hands off anymore, so you can really precisely control the camera. In terms of the legal issues surrounding uh, being able to fly professionally, the good news is that there's starting to be a lot clearer framework put in place for how professionals such as yourself can apply for permission from the FAA in order to operate commercially. DJI, uh, the Phantom 2 Vision Plus, was actually the first commercial-focused quadcopter to get FAA approved for professional applications, for a real estate agent, actually. But even for uh, filmmakers or news crews, we're starting to see a lot more applications be accepted, and the process with each new application that's accepted, the process is going to get easier for everybody else who wants to apply. That's great. Thanks so much for your time, Michael. I really appreciate it. So this is Keith Moreau for Tech Move Podcast, signing off. That's uh, Michael Perry of DJI. And uh, so, Keith, what were your thoughts about the Phantom 3? Um, I think it, from what Michael said, it was great. You know, I, I didn't really see it fly or anything, but, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure it flies great. Um, I guess the only thing that it really, in my opinion, doesn't have that the Inspire has is just the 360 view, but I don't know how necessary that is, you know? Yeah. So for what it does and if the image quality is up to par, I think it's an amazing deal. And actually, um, Michael turned out to be a really nice guy. After the interview, we talked a little bit and we said we were going to go, because actually, I don't know if you know this, but we're going to go to Hong Kong next week and I'm going to do a little filming there. And he's actually based in Hong Kong. Oh, really? Yeah, because DJ, DJI is a, a Chinese company. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, so, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, so he actually lives in Hong Kong. And he's unfortunately, he's not going to be there next week. He's, I guess he's still on tour, but he actually recommended some some great restaurants. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Like McDonald's and KFC or something like that. Yeah, they have the only Michelin-rated McDonald's there. <laughs> so. Wonderful. Good, good, <laughs> but, good. Uh, but he turned out to be a nice guy, so I think he'd be a good interview in the future as well. Sure. Well, frankly, anyone would be a good interview <laughs> for us. Uh, okay, let's give them a plug. DJI.com is where you will find them and the Phantom 3 and all other products there. That was Michael Perry and Keith Moreau. Keith, thanks a lot for that one. Uh, let's get ready for our next interview uh, right after this on Tech Move. Our next interview we have for you is um, it's a real uh, it's a real pleasure 
uh, to talk to this gentleman because uh, he's been uh, on Tech Move before, and uh, we always enjoy having him on here. And that is Eric Kessler of Kessler Crane. And uh, how was that to snag him in person, Keith? It was it was actually great. You know, we hadn't we had just talked a little bit about are you going to be at NAB? And he said yes. And and I was going to be there. I'd like to interview you. And he said, yes, that would be great. But he, we didn't really set up a time. So I, after the DJI interview, we just went down to his area. And he was there. And I said, hey, Eric. And then he looked at my badge and recognized me. And, and uh, hey, Keith, nice to meet you in person. So he was, you know, he turned out to be a great guy. You know, I, you could tell just from over the phone that he's great. But just in person, he's, he, you know, he's He's a really nice person, and he actually, um, we were starting the interview, and we were kind of troubleshooting our audio, because I listened to the beginning of the DGI interview, and I heard the dropouts, and I was like, oh, great. And so we were just kind of concerned that, you know, we didn't want to have a, any more dropouts. So we were talking, Veronica and I were talking about this, and Eric said, oh, you want some gaffer's tape? I said, he says, because I got some. And, and I said, okay, great, thanks. And so he like, you know, he's the CEO of this company, and president of this company is like going get, getting me gaffer's tape and taping up my audio cables for me he's a really nice guy well hey so. y- you know what the king of the diy eric kessler <laughs> uh, uh, you know no doubt that he would want to try and fix something that's not working right so yeah you know that's that's just absolutely perfect mm-hmm. yeah and and he's, he's a real and veronica and i were talking about who some of our favorite people were that we interviewed and and she mentioned him she just said he's just a really nice, genuine, good person. She could just tell that. Great, great. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's get to that uh, interview right now. This is uh, Eric Kessler of uh, Kessler Crane and Keith Moreau right here on Tech Move. Hi, this is Keith Moreau for Tech Move Podcast. We actually have one of our favorite people <laughs> on our podcast. This is Eric Kessler. He's the president of Kessler Crane. How you doing, Eric? Doing great. Yeah, so good to meet you in person. Great to meet you too. So um, today we're actually going to talk a little bit about the second shooter and all the uh, great recent developments in the second shooter platform, and then Eric can maybe talk about some other stuff too. We, you never know. <laughs> so here we go. Yeah, they, thanks a lot. Um, so obviously our second shooter is not a brand new thing. We came out with it, I'm going to guess to say about six months ago, uh, but a lot of changes has happened in the last six months. So originally it was just a three axis, two keyframe, very simple to use motion control, which it can still be that if that's all you're wanting. It can even be in one axis. But what we've uh, added recently is a lot of internal changes. We have um, three keyframe capabilities now. We have the ability to move the middle keyframe around in the time run so you can get different effects that way. We've also added some uh, other time lapse features in there under our advanced time lapse uh, control. Uh, you now can run our focus motors, and we start realizing that if we're going to let people run focus motors, they don't want to give up their pan, tilt, and slide, which you can do if you only want to use one controller. You can substitute one of your axes to run either a zoom or focus or an iris motor. But uh, now we made the ability where you can bridge two controllers together, and when you do that, uh, you can set up one as a master controller, and it'll run all six, up to six motors then from the one controller. So you do the same thing that you'd always do, and that is to move, move your camera into position that you want for your first keyframe, hit enter, second and potentially third, and then hit play for the run time, and then under your, whatever uh, run feature you want, whether it's looping in live motion uh, or um, 
time lapse or stop motion. You go, and also the neat thing about Second Shooter is we we have our turntable kit, so you can take just the pan and buy the turntable kit for that. And now you know for guys doing product shots or commercial work, things like that, you you know you have that. So it's a very flexible modular system. That's awesome, Eric. So I I actually own the Second Shooter along with a few of the modules. I think I have the three three axes, or I have the slider part, and I have the tilt, and I have the turntable. And I just ordered the, um, what is it, the focus focus control. Can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe, can you even demonstrate it? Is that possible? Yeah, we can demonstrate it. So, I mean, uh, if we walk over here, you can easily see that these are the focus motors. They're large geared motors uh, made to turn either cinema lenses or you can use photography lenses, that, and they will come with a, uh, like a, 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 a strap-on uh, lens gear that'll go around that. And, it, you know, it just acts like any of the other motors do. Uh, you'll have to mount it to rods. Here we're using our K-plate. Uh, and our rod kit here, and then you just mount the motors to that and roll them up into the gears on the lenses. And when you're setting up your first keyframe, you just set your focus or your zoom, you know, same way you set any other uh, thing, just by moving the motor. And when you're happy with that, you just hit enter and you go through. So now as your foc or your uh, subject is changing from a close to a far subject, or maybe you're not even on subject, you're just doing a landscape shot, but you want to pull focus or maybe push your zoom off into another subject, you can do that seamlessly. We all know operating sliders manually are hard enough as it is. Trying to pull focus and zoom and not have things jerking around is a very difficult thing. So that's what makes this nice. Nice. And even for interview situations, if you're on a panel board of interview and you want to pull focus from the front row to the back row, or you know if the slider move is long enough that the dynamics are changing that you'd like to pull a little focus to keep things sharp, you now have that ability. Oh, that's great. Well, any final words for us? Uh, no, we just thank you for uh, doing the interviews with us and um, you know, really looking forward to the rest of the show. Thank you very much, Eric. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great. This is Keith Monroe for Tech Move signing off. Thank you. It's no wonder why he's a friend of Tech Move. He's uh, <laughs> uh, he's really great, and I'm I'm so pleased that he could make a return visit uh, on Tech Move, which is really great. And I'm really happy that uh, you got a chance to actually meet up and stuff. Yeah. That was yeah. Those are, and he actually before when we were talking, he just said, so you know we're probably going to put that interview on our website. He says, "Is that okay?" <laughs> you know the the one we did of him, the really long one in the previous episode. Oh, you mean, yeah. You mean he he wants to put it on his website? Yeah, he wants to put it on the Kessler Crane. No kidding. Website. Well, look yeah. at that. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That'll be great. Yeah. So we'll have to make sure to bug him to make sure he actually does it. But. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No. <laughs> that's right that's right but um yeah so he actually talked about this focus pulling uh module yeah in in the interview and actually i ordered it um a week before so it was kind of slow shipping because it was the free version and it it got to me while i was gone right and so i have the two cardboard boxes of the uh containing the kessler stuff in up upstairs oh so you have it now you haven't tried it out yet nope and uh so in our Next episode, maybe the episode after that, you'll give us a review. Yeah, maybe I can do like an opening, yeah, a box opening, and put <laughs> those it are together. Always, those are always exciting. <laughs> uh, you know, th those are no fun unless there's electricity involved. <laughs> those are no fun. We can add electricity. We can add electricity. Yeah. You, you uh, soaking your feet in water with a little <laughs> electricity, that'll be fun. All right. Well, that was Eric Kessler. Let me give you the ever-important information. It's Kessler crane.com and you spell kessler k-e-s-s-l-e-r crane.com 
And uh, that is another terrific notch we have in the old tech move belt. So thank you, Eric, for your time and effort on the podcast. We'll be right back with another interview right here on Tech Move. You know, when I first started getting into this digital filmmaking stuff, of course, uh, following uh, your lead, Keith, uh, one of the big things that always impressed me first was the the huge EVF that you had and uh, coming from this very company. And I am so pleased that you actually got to go visit their kiosk and actually talk to somebody there. And I believe you spoke to the one and only Steve Weiss of mm. Zacudo. Mm-hmm. How yeah, was that? It was, it was actually, it was kind of interesting because, um, and he was just sitting around talking to people. There are actually a couple of famous people in, in his, in his, in his, on his couch that he was talking to at the time. Um, one of them was actually Rodney Charters. Not Rodney Louie. <laughs> no. Um, and he's actually a pretty famous cinematographer and, uh, he was right there, you know, and then there in the background, this other guy, I don't know how famous he is, but he's, um, he's the, uh the host of fro knows do you know that podcast unfortunately no i'll lie um, and just say yes i do it's a fantastic <laughs> podcast well he's he's pretty young i think he's in his 20s but he's um he's kind of crazy and his podcast has some some good information mostly it's him talking and it's more of, more of a personality thing but um but he was <laughs> but he was trying he was actually like had this huge rig on he was doing this thing and he was doing it by himself and and actually while i was there asking steve if i could interview him um, one of his marketing people or communications people came up to him and said, so do you know this guy? Fro knows this guy? And I said, yeah, I've heard his podcast. And she started asking me what he was like. And <laughs> it was kind of funny while I was talking to Steve, like her people were talking to me about, is this guy cool to be demonstrating their products? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was, that was, but anyway, it was, it was, so, so Steve actually is a filmmaker. And he's a documentarian. He's done a lot of stuff. So he's a professional. And he wanted to make sure that it looked great. So he had these people bring over lights and light us up really well. He cleared everybody out. It was it was actually, I didn't really expect that level. But yeah. I think he wanted to present it in the best light. So um, he's a pretty funny guy. And he's pretty um, honest. And I like that. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a pretty honest, straightforward interview. And, and, you know, he'd be great to have on the show at some time as well. So, you know, and uh, Steve Weiss, uh, according to this uh, bio I'm reading on, on the website, he is a Emmy winner, too. So, yeah, I, uh, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. I think I heard an interview with him a while back. And yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. Yeah. So it's pretty neat. So mm-hmm. uh, let, let, let's get to that right now. Uh, from Zacudo, this is Steve Weiss and Keith Moreau from Tech Move. Hi, this is Keith Moreau. Dude, I'm at, I'm like, uh, let's get ready here, okay? All right, you're good. <laughs> Are we too far apart? Okay, lighting's good? We can reframe it. Uh, hold on, sir. Can you kind of clear a path here just so we can... A little bit more. Keep you're getting the, You're getting this, right? Okay, good. Keep going. There we go. Hi, this is... Hi, this is Keith Moreau here with Tech Move Podcast. We're really lucky to be in the Zacuto booth here with Steve Weiss of Zacuto. And uh, we've actually rearranged everything to somehow get an amazing shot with a new uh, EVF that Zacuto's come out. And uh, Steve's going to talk about himself, the company, and the product. 
Steve? I don't know about all that, but we'll, we'll, we'll start with the EVF. Um, this is our Gradical EVF. Uh, it's HD. We call it Gradical HD. Uh, and it's a actual 720p OLED, micro OLED display. And there's a big difference between OLED and LCD technology. We had an LCD one. Um, you know, an LCD, you're limited to maybe 600 to 1, maybe a 900 to 1 ratio, contrast ratio. This is a 10,000 to 1 contrast ratio. And when most people look in it, they're like, whoa, it's like really sharp, really bright, because uh, we have a raffle going on right now. So uh, uh, the, the key to a device like this is, you know, people are like, well, I can get this or that or whatever. This is, first and foremost, a focusing device. And it is incredibly sharp. You know, there's 5.4 million pixels that you're looking at. And you got to realize that the display is about the size of that fingernail right there. So it's, they're, they're highly compacted uh, pixels. And then the optics are key. This has a six-lens optical system. So it's basically like a real lens. And that's important, you know. Uh, so first and foremost, focusing device. Secondly... Uh, it's kind of a DIT monitor, so uh, it can do so many different things. I'm going to just say a couple, and, we're, and we'll leave the rest going to our website. But it has these pre-programmed buttons here, which you can program. There's eight of them. This joystick is four, and this is four. And you can program them to do any of the features of the unit. But the thing that everybody's all excited about is that you can bring LUTs into here, uh, which are lookup tables you know, for when you're viewing a camera's log input. So when you go inside, it already has every single camera on the market, and you can select a log input that, that we've made for it, a preset LUT. Then you can make your own LUT. You can bring it in. You can either use it. You can tweak it in here. You can store 16 of them in here. You can tweak it and export it back out the USB jack and go into your uh, color timing room with the proper LUT that you used. Um, so it's really versatile in that way. Obviously, it has you know two SDIs, two HDMIs, it cross converts. It's got all the usual features: red line, you know, peaking, all this kind of garbage. Uh, it has a really fine diopter in here that most people are like, "Wow, that is!" I mean, you can. It is so precise that you could play with it for a while just to get it perfect. And um, I'm, I'm really proud of this. So the you know, it was a year and a half in the making. Uh, it, it just started shipping about a month ago, and we've got a lot of them out there so far. I think by next week we'll be caught up with our back orders. Um, and uh, I'm going to show you something that I haven't showed anybody. So you can have a first here. This is, we were going to come out with something called the uh, Gradical LT, which was a less resolution version of the HD. But we didn't really like it. And we wanted to stay in the sort of high end of the market. We really like HD and we love the look of the display and everything that we decided to make this thing, the Gradical Eye, and it's tiny. Look at how small this is. So, uh, and size and length is a huge, oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. But it is a huge big deal when you're dealing with this because when you build a recoil, which is our rig, you know, where it's fully short, small, and balanced, this ends up being way out in front. Well, if you've got some long thing out there, it'll be seen by the lens. So we're like, look at, look at that little thing. It's really cute and small. But this is going to be about $1,400 when it comes out in four months for a micro OLED. There's nothing like that. Uh, same exact resolution as this. Here's the caveat. This is just a monitor. Okay? 
It takes an SDI in. It probably will take an HDMI in when we go to market. It has a power plug on it. And every all it does is look at what your camera puts out. If you put out log, you see log. If you put out a, an image with a LUT, you see that. But this is a super, super high-res focusing device without all the crazy features that you have in this. Some people are going to want this. Some are going to want this. This is the first time it's seen, the gradical eye. Pretty cute, isn't it? <laughs> Feel it. I mean, it's like, it's amazing. Yeah, I love this thing. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> we have tons of stuff. You can come to our booth. We have all, you know, maybe 15 new products here. But, you know, the, the, our main message is we came here with two messages. One is recoil, which is, you know, creating, that's our own concept where we have one rig that works with every single camera on the market. So you buy a new camera, it's going to fit on there. It's all a matter of where, how you position it on our plate and Gradical. That's our message. Well, great. Well, thank you very much, Steve. I really appreciate the interview. So this is Keith Moreau with Tech Move Podcast signing off. Thank you. That's Steve Weiss of Zacuto. Hey, Keith, what is this Gradical Eye thing? You know, I think it's just a scaled down, less expensive version of their Gradical. Okay. Um, the thing, it just it doesn't have all that computing power in it, and so probably that makes it less expensive, less expensive to produce. Um, apparently, it's got the same the same level of high quality uh, image, but it doesn't have all the other tools like the LUTs and you know any other focusing aids and things like that. A little more so, bare bones than mm -hmm. the uh, Gradical. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not sure. You know, I think it has some use. And I'm probably going to, you know, definitely try it out when it comes out. It's a good price point. It's competing with the small HD thing. The thing about the small HD thing is it actually has more computing power and it. it can do a lot of that LUT stuff and, and, and other itch things. So, so we'll see. But um, it was great that Steve gave us the scoop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 and you know what, folks? That's where you're going to hear all your breaking news <laughs> is on Tech Move. That is if we record a podcast more than once a year. Uh, but anyway, hey, uh, again, thank you very much to Steve Weiss of Zacudo. Uh, let me give you all the, the fine stuff. It's zacudo.com. You spell that Z-A-C-U-T-O.com, Zacudo. Uh, thanks a lot, Steve and uh, Keith. Uh, let's come right back with another interview right here on Tech Move. You know, Keith, I have to admit I'm not very familiar uh, with the company Atomos. Uh, I know, but I, I am now because of this uh, really neat product that you talked uh, with the owner about, uh, something that they're introducing now called the Shogun. Is that correct? Correct. That's their newest 4K recorder. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, Atomos uh, has been around quite a while, and they've really, they're kind of like Blackmagic Design in that they have um, really lowered the price point on a lot of these high-end recorders. Um, sometimes it's just by making the things a little less expensive. And the thing that that's also kind of cool about them is they usually allow third-party hard hard drives or SSDs to be used. Uh, it depends on the recorder, um, but um, that's actually can save you a lot of money. Yeah, and and you know that that's that's actually very very. Um shall we say, lack of a better term, very nice of a company to allow something like that. Usually they're 
so locked down they don't want anything you know besides their own stuff being connected or whatever yeah and i think they just have a huge um advertising budget and marketing budget because their name and their logos are everywhere like they're they're when you go into nab you see nab show but then right next to it you see the atomus logo Mm, you know which is those four different record play different colored buttons you're probably familiar with that but yeah, and that's if you look at their devices, they all have this kind of red, green, yellow, and blue buttons on them. Right, it's kind of their trademark. Right. Um, I actually don't. The only uh, Atomus device I have is called the Ninja Star, um, and I like it a lot. It's really, really simple little recorder that just records um, an HDMI signal um, in uh, ProRes, and so far I, I like it a lot. Um, one of the other things that I was thinking about possibly getting, which a lot of people are getting to, to really record 4K on their on their uh, from their DSLRs um, is the Shogun, so it can take an HDMI signal in and actually record 4K. Um, so this is their new kind of new flagship product. It's got a pr- pretty nice monitor as well. And so yeah, just like in a lot of these cases, I just ask one of the people, who do I talk to? Who do I get an interview with? I just ask some random person on the edge of the booth that was that had a Atomus shirt on, and he said that guy. So I make a beeline to that guy who happened to be Jerry Young. Jeremy Young, the the owner, and <laughs> and uh, and I, he just said, "Do you want to do it?" I said to him, "Do you want? Can I interview?" He said, "Yeah, let's do it." And so we just did it right there within seconds. Excellent. And there was, it was in pandemonium. There were like games going on. There were people crowding in. It was just crazy. <laughs> but it was. Great. But we got it. That's great. All right. Well, let's listen to this. This is Jeremy Young of Adamus, along with Keith Barrow of Tech Move. This is Keith Moreau with Tech Move Podcast. We're here with Jeremy Young, the CEO and founder of Atomus. How are you doing today, Derry? Yeah, very good. Very good. Big day for us. I love NAB. We're an Australian company. We've got lots of offices here, so a big American presence, but love coming here. It's like Christmas for us. So we have a, a new product today we want to talk about. Why don't you tell us about it, Jeremy? Yeah, so we've got uh, our Shogun, which is uh, a 4K recorder, um, and it's uh, just been added a lot of features to it so we've got anamorphic squeeze we've got it records both ProRes Avid DNX um, and we'll soon record Cinema DNG so for raw recording from cameras and we've got a, a very complete and deep operating system that does almost everything that a studio does but in one little device and it sits on top of cameras and records directly from the, the sensor of the camera or from any video feed from your iPad or from a, from a phone. So it's a pretty cool little device. So uh, just walking around the show, you can't really help but know that Animus is a force? Yes. <laughs> yes, we are a force. Yes, we are a force. And the reason we're a force is because we give really easy to use. We combine products together. We've combined a recorder, a monitor, a playback deck, and an editing device all in one, plus now a 3D LUT box. So we do everything that we can in the software to make it. And this is all our own operating system. We wrote, we wrote everything from scratch. It's all our architecture. There's no building blocks from someone else. We don't take a HDMI interface from someone and buy it and put it in. We write it ourselves. And those things are really important to get customers actually good quality. And then we're open on the things you need to be open on, like any camera. Work with any camera. Work with any hard disk that's capable. We test that heavily, and then we give you a list of hard disks, and you buy the cheapest one that, that you can find inside your, um, your area or, or online. So these are the things that we really believe in, and uh, I think it's, a, it, it's testament to that philosophy, the success that we've had. So uh, 
what are some of the things that you think are special about this new product here, the Shogun? Um, well, things like, well, actually, it's enabling the amazing 4K cameras from Japanese makers. I worked, lived and worked in Japan for a very long time, um, and I'm always in awe of the technology that, that they deliver, but they don't package up the product exactly as we would like sometimes. So my job is to connect the camera world to the post-production world and make it easier and more affordable for people to do things with the, with the camera that they know and trust, a Canon or a Nikon or a Sony. The reason they love those, or Panasonic, the reason they love those cameras is because they've been workhorses for them, reliable. And now they're getting more affordable, 4K is here, and we can give you 4K ProRes, DNX, edit-friendly formats for a fraction of the price of what used to be 4K five years ago. You can buy a $2,000 camera and a 1695 Shogun, and for under four grand, you are recording as good, if not better quality, than Hollywood production. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, Jeremy. I really appreciate your time. Okay, cheers. Thank you very much. This is Keith Moreau signing off for TechMove. That was Keith Moreau, and uh, along with Jeremy Young of Adamus. I don't know how you pronounce that. I keep seeing it in different dialects, it seems like. <laughs> Adamus, Adamos, Adams. Uh, but it is spelled A-T-O-M-O-S dot com is where you will find Jeremy and the entire company uh, where they, uh, of course, are featuring their Shogun product right now um keith any last words on that one yeah it was just it was just crazy there was so much there's pandemonium going on around this interview behind him there was this semi-nude painted woman uh doing some kind of lottery with lots of noisy things going on and then people were cheering we were squeezed in uh people were almost tripping over our makeshift little DIY audio cable going <laughs> from me to Veronica's iPad. So yeah, it was crazy. I'm really glad we got it though. Uh, I am too. It was uh, it was really great. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you, Keith. Uh, we'll have more interviews right here on Tech Move. Continuing our coverage of NAB 2015 uh, with Keith Moreau, I am Rod Louie. And uh, our next interview is a very special one. Uh, Black Magic. Uh, Keith uh, stumbled uh, upon this one, and we got a great, great person to talk about the Black Magic products. Uh, Tina Ekman. Uh, Keith, how, how did that whole thing come about? Um, yeah, the Black Magic booth was pandemonium. It was so crowded, and it was huge. I mean, the, the the booth, the area, it's not really a booth. The area was huge. They had all kinds of products all over the place. They had things up in the air. They had things on the ground. It was packed. Uh, they had a little theater where they were showing stuff and talking stuff, kind of an open-air theater. Around the back of their booth was their marketing interview area. So uh, I asked somebody where to go for that. They directed us to the back. I talked to some a person that was kind of managing it in the back and she said yeah we're just totally booked we don't have any space for you and i said really and this was at about five or so five five p.m maybe four forty-five p.m on uh, monday and and uh and but but they were pretty nice about it and i said can you can you fit us in now because we're ready to go now and but i want to talk to somebody you know about this um ursa mini and um and so she said, let me, let me check. So she talked, she talked about three or four people. Finally, she, she said, okay, we can fit you in at five thirty. 
p.m. Come back and we'll do it. Mm-hmm. So that was great. So we kind of went off and took a break and came back in about 20 minutes and uh, sat down, kind of tested our <laughs> tested our rig again to make sure it was <laughs> it would record. Right. And then um, we actually um, wound up uh, having a couple people uh, to talk to, and uh, t- uh, it was decided that Tina would talk to us. And there was not an Ursa Mini in the back. Normally, they do all the interviews in the back. But they had grabbed the Ursa Mini for some other event that they were going to do, so there were no the that product was not there. So I, th- they said, "Do you need the Do you need to show the product?" And I said, "Yeah, we're talking about this product. We have to show it." Right. So so they said, "Okay," and they were they're actually not they were very helpful. So we actually all went out in this entourage, like two marketing people and me and Veronica, out into the the crowd. And you know what's awesome? You're just holding this iPad with it connected to it. <laughs> yes. And they're well, and they're treating you like National Geographic or something like I, that, which is I great. Know, I know with this like little taped up connector with some extra well, see, that's connectors what, sticking that's out. That's what tech move <laughs> means to this to this arena here. That's what tech move means. Yep. Yeah, so we went out and kind of pushed our way through the crowd and and we had one of the marketing people um was like guarding our space so that nobody would walk through it and trip over the cable and <laughs> and and uh tino's great it was kind of funny because i i just it was kind of a little bit overwhelming and and because this product i didn't really do that much research on it in fact i just found out about it like an hour before that this this ursa mini <laughs> was she, must available. Been, she must have been so complimented by that <laughs> Um, so I, I pretty much gave her the mic and then she started talking and talking to the camera and stuff. And it actually was pretty good. But then after a while I said, Oh, this isn't going to work. And I, and I said, I'm going to take the mic back cause I need to talk. I need to ask you questions. And so that was kind of funny, but she was great. And I asked a, a lot of stuff and she was, she was pretty informative. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> l- l- let's listen to it. Cause she, re- I thought she really did a really great job and yeah, she's uh, she, she's definitely, uh, uh, really, uh, uh, you know, well thought out in uh, in her delivery and stuff like that. She's a yep. professional. Uh, let's get to it. This is Tina Ekman of Black Magic, along with Keith Moreau of Tech Move. Tina Ekman, yes. and you're the Los Angeles. Just say I'm based in LA. Okay. So we're recording. Okay. Hi, this is Keith Moreau with Tech Move Podcast, and we have here. Tina Ekman, based in Los Angeles for Black Magic Design. Um, I'm going to have Tina just talk incessantly about all these products. Great. Do you want me to hold this? Okay, great. So I'll just take over now for you, Keith. Thank you so much for stopping by. Welcome to Black Magic at NAB 2015. We have a slew of cameras to talk about today, and we're standing actually in front of the one that's getting a whole lot of buzz, which is the Ursa Mini. So you might know the, the major Ursa that we have from last year, the original. This one is actually a smaller design, so if you want to take a weight, just a look at the weight rather, five and a half pounds with no accessories on it but the same shutter or the same sensors. So we've announced two sensors. Obviously we have the 4.0 sensor. We now have an amazing 4.6 with 15 stops of dynamic range, which is just incredible. So in addition to that, we can do 60 frames with a rolling shutter or 30 with a global shutter. Ursa, the original, can actually do 120 frames now rolling and 60 global, which means you are getting stellar images out of both these cameras. 
So depending on what size you need, if you're doing more of a run and gun style, then perhaps the Ursa Mini is the right one for you. And with that said, we've actually added an accessory pack on this as well. So you can see there's a quick release shoulder as well as a handle and then an extension rod, oh, not on this one, that you can actually take the record handle and put at the end for that perfect balance. We've also added the electronic viewfinder, which works on both Ursas. And this is a beautiful precision glass design with an OLED display, 1920 by 1080. You can set the focus really easily, adjust it for your eye first, and that way you know that the focus is actually completely precise when you're going to do your shoot. In addition, there's a record light on the front, $14.95, $3.95 for the accessory pack. Ursa Mini is starting at $2,995 for the EF 4.0, and then it goes up incrementally for PL and or the next sensor, which is the 4.6. It's about $2,000 more for the 4.6 sensor. Same with the original Ursa. Okay. I'm going to take the mic back. <laughs> that was great. You held it very well. Um, so I'm going to ask a few a specific questions. So there is there's the mini and we were talking about the mini. And then there's the micro. So the micro is the micro is actually a different product sensor. So if you think about the pocket camera, we now have the micro cinema camera, which is actually the same sensor as the pocket. But in addition to that, if you look at it, it's about the size of a tennis ball. So it's really the micro four-thirds mount for the lens, same Super 16 sensor, 13 stops of dynamic range, a battery on the back. It's got HDMI out. There's no monitor on this little tiny camera. But if you look around our booth, you'll see that there's drones above our head, and they're mounted there. Record light in the front. So if you're mounting this camera in a car or a tight space, you can still hit record from the front. It records to an SDI, or SD card rather, and it's ProRes and DNX. That same um, form factor can be completely hacked with the expansion port that's on the side, which allows you to do things remotely, remote control. On our website, there's about 80 functions. It gives you a whole lot more detail than I can give you right now. Okay, so this is a competitor maybe for a GoPro, but just higher end. You know, actually, so we build products based on what our customers ask for. We're not necessarily trying to compete with anybody because it actually is a really powerful cinematic lens sensor. I just spoke to someone that was using their pocket for a, a feature, and this is another option for those people making amazing images. Price is $1,000 for this camera. We have that same form factor in a live version, the Micro Studio camera as well. $12.95 for that one. Doesn't record, but it works directly with our switchers, the way the studio camera does. So lots of options. So that's available here somewhere. We, see, we can see that. Little tiny ones, actually. So there's a micro above my head right there. But actually, if you look, there's another micro camera right over there above the red light. So that's the micro studio camera. And then the um, cinema camera is definitely floating around here. Last thing is the video assist, which you should know about, because both of those cameras have no way of looking at the content unless you go HDMI out into a computer or HDMI out into our new video assist, which is a 5-inch 1920-1080 high-def screen that allows you, as a touch screen, to set up the menus, look at your image, make any adjustments you need to do on the camera, and then you can put it in its final location and hit the record button. Wow, this is amazing. Okay, so let's step back and let's, let's look a little bit more at this. So. Tell me what's the le least expensive version of this and the most expensive version. Okay, the least expensive version is the EF 4.0, $2,995. The, the high-end model would be the PL 
4.6, and I believe it's 6495. Let's double check because I usually do math to get there. <laughs> but that sounds about right for this camera as well. And it actually, oh no, see I'm wrong, $5,495 for the EF 4.6 15 stops PL mount. So by? 3 and 5500 Okay, so when you say 4.6, what, do what does that mean? That's the 4.6 sensor. So you're actually getting 4,600 pixels by whatever that is. And then in addition, the 15 stops. So you're gaining not only frame size beyond the traditional 4096 resolution that allows you to pan and zoom in, whatever, but you're also gaining three times additional color depth compared to the 12 stops, which is just allowing you to really punch into the darks or really you know, work with the brights within that range. So uh, will a EF full-frame lens work with this or EF-S lens? Um, EF in general. So depending on, I mean, anytime you use a new lens, you want to double check and make sure things are working the way you expect them to. But the EF lens mount will support most EF lenses as expected. The same with PL, actually. Is there, I guess I was asking about the actual physical size of the sensor. So if you put a full-frame lens on it, will it... Yeah, so the, when we say it's an EF mount, it's set up for those EF lenses, so you're going to get all the resolution data. You're not going to get dark edges or anything. The time that you're going to see that happen is when you use a ring adapter to go back and forth. So if, if we were selling you an EF and you had used a ring adapter, then you definitely want to be conscious to make sure the sensor was filling. But the way the sensors are working, we should be good with both of those mounts. Well, that's great. Well, you've been very, very helpful. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Well, this is Keith Moreau for Tech Move Podcast, signing off. You know, I should properly refer to the company as Blackmagic Design. Uh, they are located at www.blackmagicdesign.com. Keith, what, what are your thoughts about the Ursa and the Ursa Mini? Well, when I saw it, I said, wow, that's, that's really what they needed to do. What, they the Mini? Really yeah, they needed to come out with a 4K smaller version. Um, and then when they said it had the 15 stops of dynamic range, that was that sounded great. That's actually, I, I, did, I thought I did see in the interview your eyes light up a little bit. I thought <laughs> I thought you you, you were gazing uh, at it, uh, you know, at the thought of that. Yeah, and and at the price point, I mean, it's unbeatable price point. So there's some those are the positive things. Um, the negative, there's a couple negatives. Um, it doesn't have internal NDs. Uh, you're going to have to always, you know, add some type of thing to the front if you want to have shallowed up the field, you know, probably almost all the time. Um, although maybe you don't have to do that as much because it's probably not that sensitive, a, ca a camera. Um, you you kind of know when something's not that sensitive when, when they don't mention it. Like, like ca a Canon mentions can go up to ISO 157,000. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and Blackmagic just says 15 stops of dynamic range, but they don't mention the native ISO. So I, jury's out on that because it's it's going to be really hard for me to work with a camera that's not that sensitive. It's just going to be going to be somewhat limiting. So, and then the fact that it doesn't have the built-in internal NDs is also a little bit limiting because then you have to always have to add this extra thing on the front, you know, this right. extra step. But we'll see. You know, we'll see. It, I think it's it's a much smaller design. It's a little bit lighter than the Ursa. It's 4K and it's actually 4.6K, and that that and then the 15 stops the dynamic that might actually overcome some of the the little negatives. 
So, so we'll see. And then, so at the after the interview is official, sometimes I talk to these people after the interview is over because they're kind of more relaxed now. They've done their spiel, yeah. And then, um, and then I get to talk to them about real stuff. <laughs> and and I said, so when's it going to come come out? And they said, well, it's going to come out in June. And I said, yeah, but when is it really going to come out? <laughs> because, as you know, Black Magic Design doesn't usually meet their announced dates. Right. They're usually, I mean, they might ship like one unit out, you know, like the one l- lucky customer number one gets it, but then all the normal people have to wait months for it. <laughs> <Right>. So, <laughs> or possibly years. Right. But, um, but uh, they said, no, it's probably going to come out then. So, but they kind of both looked at each other when I said that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, don't say that, don't say that. <laughs> so we'll see. But when it comes out, it'd be great to see some of the images and some of the tests and, uh, and see how it does. It's definitely, it's up there. It's a compete. It's a c- com- competitor to the FS seven. I think now at this right. point. Yeah. Cool. So, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, Keith, thanks a lot. That's Tina Ekman of black magic designs. And uh, we will come right back with more on Tech Move. Our next interview we'd like to share with you was done especially for me, Rod Louie. Uh, and I know, Keith, you had me in mind for this one. We're talking about, of course, Panasonic and the GH4. Uh, you spoke to a gentleman there by the name of Matt Fraser. And uh, Keith... Thank you very much for doing this for me. You're welcome. You're uh, welcome, Rodney. I, I, I mean, it, it was so great to have some uh, micro four thirds <laughs> representation here uh, on this podcast. Uh, even though I still do not have a GH4, uh, hey, I love anything Panasonic. So, uh, Keith, how did you get into this one? And I'll tell you the 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 rig, the GH4 rig that was behind you guys was extremely impressive to me. <laughs> I th- I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It had it actually you know it actually had the convergent design seven um, Q plus the one that I have mounted yeah. on top of it. That was what they were using to monitor it. Yeah, and and record. So and I, apparently they really liked that combination. So that's what he that's what he told me at least during the interview. Yeah, and, and afterwards, but um, yeah, getting to this interview was um, was was another toughie because it was a huge, very extremely crowded booth. And Panasonic, it seemed like the GH four stuff wasn't like like it wasn't all over the place. It was in one very specific area. Oh, um, you mean like it wasn't all over their 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 no. booth or anything like that? No, it seemed like it was kind of confined to one area, and they had mm. all the other very cams and and the other you know, really high end Panasonic stuff all over the place. You know, the, the GH4 is kind of more the hoppiest semi, semi pro level. Correct. And yeah, but it has a lot of interest. So, yeah. So, um, and I really like this guy, Matt, he's what I liked about him. He wasn't just this marketing guy that had all the marketing speak. Like he really knew the technical stuff and he, and he had opinions too. Yeah. He didn't necessarily say all the opinions during the interview. He had a couple opinions afterwards, but I, I really liked his honesty and, and he had a, a lot of great technical info. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it's, uh, you know, we, we represent the Panasonic, the, the GH series. Uh, that's what tech move does. So we uh, represent, we, we represent. And, uh, without further ado, let's get right to it. Matt Fraser of Panasonic and Keith Moreau of tech move. 
Hi, this is Keith Monroe here with TechMove. We're here at the Panasonic booth and we're going to talk uh, about the GH4. Hi, Keith. So uh, we've announced a new firmware update for the GH4. Um, it's going to be version 2.2. Uh, there's two things it adds. One of them is a uh, silent 16,000th of a second shutter for photographers. Um, the other thing that it adds is an anamorphic function for anamorphic cinematic production. Uh, for those of the people out there who are confused by what anamorphic means, uh, what it means is we have these lenses that will squeeze a subject as it's coming into the optic. It squeezes it twice as tall and skinny as real life is. Um, when we do that, we want to squeeze it onto a unique sized sensor. You don't want to do that on a 16 by 9 aspect ratio because then when you go to stretch it back out in post-production, what you get is a very long aspect ratio that doesn't work real well with televisions or cinematic work. Um, the industry standard is to shoot this on a 4 by 3 aspect ratio sensor. So that's what we've done is we've effectively added a 4 by 3 mode that records a higher capture, a taller capture than the 16 by 9 window. It records at 3328 wide, but by 2496 tall. So you're actually getting a slightly larger crop of the micro four thirds sensor than you're getting in the 16 by 9 mode. Um, this helps to give you a slightly shallower depth of field, but it also facilitates this beautiful anamorphic look where we use these lenses and get this just amazing look out of the final production. That's great. So I actually have a GH4 and um, I've been tweaking a little bit with the picture profiles and I'm not sure if it's available yet, but do you have any plans for some type of log type uh, profile? Yeah, we're actually demonstrating in the booth um, our vlog L function, which uh, we still haven't announced a date of release, uh, but we are, we are demonstrating it, we are working on it. Don't worry, we're going to get you some sort of a log profile. I'm, I'm on 99% sure it's going to happen. Uh, this show just wasn't going to provide us with the opportunity to, to announce it because there's still some up-in-the-air things about how we plan to implement V-Log. Got it. So maybe in the next month or two, you'll introduce something. Well, it's hard to say when. Um, keep in mind that the firmware 2.2 that we're talking about now, that's going to be available at the end of April. So we try to announce things within very close proximity to when we're actually going to offer the update. It's, it's not common for Panasonic to make you wait six months for an update. I don't know how long it's going to take for the engineers to 100% finalize how Vlog is going to get into the camera for the customer or if there's some sort of a tweak that has to be made to this, the hardware to make it work. We just don't know those particulars yet. So until we know those things, we don't want to just announce something and then have people be frustrated because it takes us longer than we initially announced. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I actually have an Odyssey 7Q Plus. Uh, do you want to? I, I see that. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the interface between the two? Okay, so the reason we're using the Odyssey 7Q Plus on the GH4 for this demo is that we're showing the anamorphic lens here. Um, both Odyssey, uh, both convergent designs and Atomos have announced an intention to put in a de-squeeze mode for anamorphic. So you'll be able to see your content properly stretched as you're filming it. Very useful tool. Um, the reason I chose to use the Convergent Designs piece right now is that their output will also output the de-squeezed information to a monitor. So in you know intense city, if I'm trying to show client what the final production's gonna look like, I can output it with the LUTs applied, I can output it properly de-squeezed. It just makes it easier, and frankly for this venue, asking 30 people to surround themselves around this beautiful but admittedly small monitor 
versus this, you know, very large monitor. It, it's just not conducive to this environment. So the 7Q was a perfect opportunity. 7Q Plus was perfect for us for this. Now this is running very preliminary firmware, so it's not exactly ready for prime time for the for the rest of the world. But um, I've talked to the folks there, and they 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 seem very confident that they're going to launch this firmware by the end of the month as well. That's great. Well, thank you very much for your assistance here and your information. It's been great. Hey, thanks, Keith. I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to come to our booth. Keith Merrill here with TechMove, signing off. I feel renewed. <laughs> I feel like a new man after hearing that. I mean, it, 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 it's so promising. But what in the world is Vlog? I guess Vlog is, is uh, Panasonic's version of C-Log or S-Log. <laughs> C log would Do, be the is there a Q log or a G log? <laughs> There's uh, there might be a G log. That sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's a so it's a log format that gives you uh, potentially more dynamic range by by spreading out the amount of bits that are recorded in the high end and the low end. Um, unfortunately, it's not it's not always the best thing to record on. It depends on the camera, and it also depends on the the codec. That you're recording on. So if you're recording on an 8-bit codec, uh, Vlog isn't necessarily the best thing to use because then you get a lot of you get a lot of detail maybe in the highs and the lows, but uh, you don't necessarily get a lot of detail in the mids, which is kind of what you need for skin tones. Yeah, because that's in the mids, so you might get some banding, and so it's not always necessarily the best thing. But um, but the thing is, is that everybody wants Vlog for because like Panasonic and the GH4 is the only company that doesn't have it, some kind of log, so everybody wants it. And so Matt talked a lot about that and also talked about some of the advantages and disadvantages of it. And later I also talked to him about the fact that I'm not even using Cine Profile anymore on my GH4. I'm just going to Portrait and some other... Uh, I, I read some threads about why the Cine Profiles aren't the best, and I'm starting to convert over to the non-Cine. Hmm. Okay. And, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, but I but I liked his honesty, and, you know, it was it was actually a surprisingly nice interview. Again really tough we had very little space because it was in a small space and but it was kind of in a like in a corridor yeah so i didn't want people walking through the middle of us so i had veronica get pretty close to us so that people could walk behind her if they needed to so it was technically a challenging interview <laughs> well but but you know what sounded great as all of these do so thank you yeah so good work uh that's matt frazier of uh panasonic and uh, our own keith moreau uh, of Tech Move. So uh, let's come back and we'll have another one for you right here on Tech Move. Okay, uh, folks, we have, we want to talk about something that Keith saw. It's not necessarily an interview, uh, but it is posted on our Twitter page. And our Twitter page, again, is twitter.com slash Tech Move Podcast, or if you're a Twitter person, at Tech Move Podcast. You'll find us there. Uh, but this is a demo about, I guess, lack of a better term, uh, drones that do heavy lifting of equipment. Right, like for bigger cameras, like for non-GoPros. Okay, so on our Twitter page, we've posted a 30-second video, of which I'm going to play right now as Keith kind of talks about it. And I'll kind of talk about it because I, I haven't really seen this thing. So I'm going to watch it while okay. Keith talks about it right now. Okay. And then, and then I'll give you a play-by-play -play afterwards about okay. what I see. Okay. So I, um, I got there. I actually, it was kind of late in the day. We actually had to go to the airport right after this. So we walked to the South Hall, which is where the, the drone pavilion was. 
and there's hundreds of people there seated and then lots of people gathered around around them as well there's some official person uh probably some a company executive talking about how great this stuff is and then these these two guys that are trying to get this this drone to to lift off the ground and uh here's my play by play <laughs> it doesn't go hardly anywhere it 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 does seem uh okay well he, he, here's the play by play i'm watching it again uh, the drone has liftoff, and we're talking about maybe right at this point, roughly four to five feet off the ground. It starts to stutter. It come, it descends to about the three-foot level, and then it just stops because it's just too tight. Now, I will also tell you that the video, the, the audio on the video that you captured sounds like it's trying to be a flying lawnmower because the 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 sound of this thing you need to wear ear protectors if if you're using was it that loud in this pavilion keith was it that loud it was pretty loud and i I actually was kind of close all the seats by the time i got there all every single seat was taken but there was a huge middle aisle and i just I just went into the middle aisle and sat down right in the middle. So I was about 20 feet away. So you sat on the floor, essentially. Yeah, I sat on the floor, and I just had my little iPhone up because I just wanted to get a get something to put up on Twitter and talk about. And, yeah, and, and it was and, really... And, it, and the amount of wind coming off this thing was amazing. I, I, I mean, like, it, it's a nice-looking unit. It's huge, though. I mean, like, it looks like it stands about three feet tall. Yeah, it's a it's a big one. and It's, it's, for it's big, big. Yeah, and it's for big, high-end camcorders yeah well yeah. I, I maybe not that high end because it's not going to go anywhere <laughs> you know it was really so there was obviously some technical issue with it which is really embarrassing yeah because you, know, you have all these hundreds of people and they can't even like get it five feet off the ground and so I, i'm sure somebody got chewed out after this but um and which, he, which he, is always unfortunate right yeah it's, it's, it's not those poor guys you know the operators fault or anything like that and just you know whatever it is or it might be, but <laughs> it could be, it could be, <laughs> but you know, you figure there's all these technicians around with these, all these resources from the company. You figure they could get this demo to work. It's not a very good ad, but the thing that was really funny is that at the end he says, and if you want to watch um, the camera's point of view, you can watch it over at this other booth, <laughs> well, which is really no different than you standing on your tiptoes and falling right back down on the floor again. Pretty much. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Well, uh, we encourage you to go on our Twitter page, uh, at Tech Move Podcast. Uh, take a look at this thing. It's called the Heavy Lifter Demo. And um, obviously, didn't really work all that well. So um, that's unfortunate. Well, hey, Keith, great reporting. <laughs> Thank you. That, that's what news is based upon, is uh, all the tragedies in life. And this is one of them. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's Keith Moreau reporting Uh, and on assignment live at NAB 2015. We'll be right back with more Tech Move. Keith, one of your favorite tools uh, from the very start of uh, filmmaking to, uh, you know, where we're at today and all the stuff we're talking about today is the the fluid head. Mm -hmm. And uh, you actually got to meet a person who has designed one. And uh, we're, we're talking specifically about a company called Really Right Stuff. And we were lucky enough to talk to a gentleman there by the name of Verant Chan, uh, who is actually a designer with Really Right Stuff. And uh, what was your thoughts on the fluid head that they were talking about? Well, when I, um, 
was walking through the the kind of pre pre walkthrough to see who I might want to interview. I saw really right stuff. They don't have a huge booth, but they you know fairly large. Um, but I but I really like this uh, fluid head that I bought from them, and it's not cheap. It's like two thousand bucks. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, but their stuff is not cheap. But for what it does, it compares to heads that are much more expensive, like five thousand dollar heads or six thousand dollars. It's really a really nice head, and it's designed for smaller cameras. Um, but I actually use it on everything. It, it holds everything. And and the thing that's and Varian will actually show you in the video how stable it is. You know, like you just can't get a regular tripod head to do what this, this thing does because of the technology in there. So, yeah. So since I own one, I bought one. Uh, you know, when it first came out, like six months ago, um, I just wanted to talk to the person that designed it. <laughs> yeah, and and you and you did, and we were lucky enough to get them. Uh, let's get to that interview right now. This is again Varent Chan of Really Right Stuff, along with Keith Moreau on Tech Move. Hi, this is Keith Moreau here of Tech Move, and we're here at the Really Right Stuff booth, and we're actually going to talk about a fluid head that I actually own and I love. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Varent Chan. I'm uh, the principal engineer here at Really Right Stuff. Why don't you talk about this head? Great. Uh, this is our uh, Really Right Stuff FH350 fluid head. Um, it has an uh, entirely CNC machined uh, aluminum body. Uh, there's no cast metal components in here. Uh, it, it's designed for DSLRs and lightweight setups such as this uh, Blackmagic here. And uh, uh, what we really like about it is we've taken a lot of cues from the high-end fluid heads and basically brought that technology down to a lower price point and for cameras that are much smaller in size. I actually have this head and I actually use it for everything, including some of the larger cameras, and it still works really well for me. Well, that's great. <laughs> yeah. um, one of the big features that, uh, that we've incorporated is a truly sinusoidal counterbalance mechanism, uh, which ena enables you to have uh, virtually no kickback from your spring counterbalance system. As demonstrated here, when the head is properly balanced, I can uh, move it down uh, to practically any position and let go, and this is with no damping applied. Uh, so um, it's, it's a very weightless feel to the camera, and something you only find in heads that cost five times this. So That's great. Well, thank you very much for your help here. You make uh, excellent stuff. By the way, did you design this? I was the principal designer on this project, yes. So how long did it take for you to, to con conceive of it and actually get it through the whole process? Like, well, how long did each step stage take you? Well, we went through a number of prototypes, uh, and the whole process ended up taking about three and a half years from concept to launch and actually selling the first fluid head. And so how is this head doing for your company? Oh, it's, it's been great. Uh, it's very well received. Uh, last year, it was one of our top sellers uh, for 2014. That's great. Well, you did an excellent job. I really love it. Thank you very much. Well, we're signing off here. This is Keith Moreau from Tech Move here at the Really Right Stuff booth, NAB 2015. You know, Keith, I was watching the video, and the head can do so many different things. It's it's so and the you know the ergonomics of it, the the performance of it really look fantastic. Uh, what are your thoughts on you own one? So, what do you think? 
I own one and just balancing it is super easy and then once you balance it the camera just stays where you put it and you can vary the the amount of drag really easily and the amount of tilt drag and the amount of pan drag and it's just nice to have something just a really nicely well-made thing because you're kind of when you're on a tripod and you're, you're you're using a head like this it kind of becomes an extension of your body so it's kind of like driving a really fine car or really highly tuned whatever it's just it's nice when you have such a high quality thing that's an extension of your body that's nice that uh, it, it really looks great really looks well made i'd love to see one in person um so i'll come over your place and take a look at yours yeah yeah, yeah. all right we can, we can balance your gh1 on it <laughs> <laughs> exactly okay here's the specifics really stuff.com all one word that's variant chan we want to thank variant for joining us uh keith thanks a lot uh we'll get to more on tech move Keith, I've got a nice little surprise for you. I've got uh, one of your more in-depth interviews that it's about to come up right now. And it's going to be featuring a gentleman by the name of Mitch Gross of Convergent Design. Uh, this is a, a, a fairly in-depth interview. And uh, can you talk about it briefly here uh, before we get to it? Yeah, I, um, I actually saw Mitch talking. He was actually, I think, the very first guest on the Geek TV thing that you know where we were like lounging around and using their charging stations and yep not listening to what their show right but um just using them but um yeah he was actually the first guest and so I knew he was here but what was weird was when I was searching the NAB uh, show app they actually have an app um you know that you can download and, and, and use on your iPhone which is really cool because you can find the exhibitors and locate them and and then mark kind of mark your favorites and things. It was actually very useful. Um, they, I looked up Convergent Design and it wasn't there like the first day. Um, actually, in the, pre, the pre-show time when I was there, I couldn't find them. Um, but then on the first day, I, I, I did see them and I said, oh, and then I looked it up again and they must have added it to the, the NAB show app. Uh, maybe they were a late entry or something. But So I thought, well... It would be great to actually go up there and talk to this guy because I've seen him so many times. I've I've read endless posts. He actually he's one of the few representatives of of a major uh, cinematography gear company that actually posts directly to forums. It's actually great. Oh wow! Yeah, it's yeah actually, you, you don't get that very often. No, do you? no, and it's always usually the company line. It's always just very very brief information, nothing controversial or anything. He's actually just out there. And um, there was a time when Convergent Design was promising all the stuff and they weren't delivering and all the all the customers were getting really mad at them and, and writing in the forum and he was kind of defending himself but also saying, sorry. It was actually kind of cool in a way. You just right. never see this with a manufacturer. So That's awesome. Yeah, so I felt like it would be kind of cool to talk to him in person. And also, since I personally have two Odyssey 7Qs, I have a the original 7Q and then I have the new 7Q Plus that does the HDMI 4K recording. That's right. The, that's the main difference. Other than that, they're just exactly the same. Um, I thought, yeah, I get some, maybe get some more information for my for myself personally. So he seemed to sense that I really wanted to hear more. So he just kept talking, and it was great. That's fantastic. That's great. Well, let's get to it right now. Uh, here is Keith Moreau along with Mitch Gross of Convergent Design, right here on Tech Move. 
Hi, this is Keith Moreau with TechMove. We're here at the Convergent Design booth with Mitch Gross, and we're going to talk about the Odyssey 7Q+. Hey there. So we had seven different announcements. Originally it was six new announcements, but then we added a seventh announcement for all these new, great, wonderful things that we're doing with the Odyssey 7Q+. The biggest part of all these announcements is that none of them were new hardware. Everything is for the current, we don't obsolete things, so we really try not to. So it's, everything was for current hardware, and all these announcements, all seven of them, they pertained equally to the 7Q+, Plus as well as the previous model, the 7Q. And most of these announcements were for completely free upgrades. Some of them were things that you know, you'd spend some money on, others were actually lowering your costs. So we're really happy about the fact that you know, we're here for our client base. We're not just like trying to sell new stuff all the time and get new things in new directions and totally destroying someone's business model for you know, they buy something, they have to throw it away and get a new thing. We're not about that. We want to keep the relationship going and really we designed the product so that it will grow with you over time. That's great. You want to talk about the new announcements? So, first new announcement is uh, in our ProRes recording. We are able, we in a camera such as the FS7 and FS700, uh, we've been able to record 4K at 60 frames a second and 2K at 240 frames a second in RAW. We are now going to do, well, very soon in the next month or two, we will be doing those same frame rates in Apple ProRes. So on those cameras, we'll take a raw signal, 4K at 60, 2K at 240 frames a second, take it into the Odyssey, process it, debayer it, turn it into video, and then record it in Apple ProRes. And Apple ProRes 422HQ, Apple ProRes regular 422, or 422LT. So it's, that's a, even the Amira uh, from uh, Aerie, that, that's the highest frame rate ProRes up till now, that's 200 frames. Here we're doing 240 frames. And then we're going to propagate that out over the next few months to uh, cameras like the C500 and for the um, F55 that has a 4K video output so that it can go up to 60 frames. So we'll be able to take that directly in and do it 4K, uh, 4K ProRes up to 60 frames a second. It's very, very powerful, very useful. And, and 60 frames a second in, in 4K is really important because you're, you, there's different like major networks and different uh, distributors and such that that's going to become a deliverable requirement in the next year or so. You're going to have to do 4K60 to be able to be in business and to sell someone your product, your your, your material. So here we are. We're delivering that to you now. You're going to be able to be able to do that and not just in raw with heavy burden of all that data. So that was the first big one. Uh, I got to remember all seven of them. We are going to support the AJA Scion camera. We're going to be able to record RAW from it, be able to take that and turn it into ProRes as well. We also can do the uh, IO Industries Flare 4K, a tiny little camera that's a 4K sensor, Super 35 size sensor, it's a little box, and we'll be able to do that one as well in similar kind of frame rates and resolutions and such. Uh, also the new Canon C300 Mark II that was just announced. We are going to, we already fully support that camera. So the raw outputs from that camera are the same as the raw outputs from the C500. So uh, 4K or Ultra HD up to 60 frames a second, a 4K half res up to 120 frames a second. We already support that. And so we will support it on the, the new camera. We also uh, can take the HD signal 
and that can go up to 120 frames a second, so we'll be able to do that as well. Record that right in Apple ProRes without having to convert anything. That camera, its internal recording in 4K is limited to 4K at 30 frames a second. It has a, this new codec they developed and they can do that. Of course, we're, we can take the 4K and it, it can output over RAW 60 frames, and so we can take that recorded in RAW or we can turn into 4K 60 frames a second ProRes. So here you have the same camera, but we can now give you that really high quality video output recording from it that's more capability than the manufacturers even able to do internally in the camera themselves. So we're just keep trying to expand the functionality of these devices. Something we're gonna have available for free in just a few weeks, by the end of April, is 3D LUT implementation. Now we got a whole slew, it's the next firmware release, it's a whole slew of all these different monitoring functions. We have anamorphic D-squeeze and 17 by nine frame viewings, so letterboxes it in. Uh, we've improved our our uh, uh, waveform and zebras and uh, false color, all these different things we, we did all these improvements on. But we've brought in this huge new functionality with 3D LUTs. In the past, the 3D LUTs have just been a few that we had built in, you just turn them on, turn it off kind of thing. Now you can create your own custom 3D LUTs. And you do it in like uh, Resolve, which is a free program, you know, uh, and there's other places that you can do it too. It's uh, ImageCube, which is a standard, most common format for doing 3D LUTs. And there, we take all the color resolutions of 3D LUTs. So there's a nine by nine by nine, and a 17 by 17, and a 33 by 33, 33, 30, 65, we take them all. We do all the different formats. We turn it into a binary file structure, which is really important because if someone has like sort of their own secret sauce of a LUT and they, you know, this is my special look, nobody can like copy it from them and steal it from them. You can give it to somebody else if you want, but if you want to protect it, it's protected in your machine. You can store more than 200 of them in the Odyssey, and we have a whole like sort of directory and a folder system and files so you can structure it to, won't lose track of the thing, but you can keep it in there and you can always take it out if you don't want to have it kept in there, but you can name them for like, this is for a certain project and stuff like that. You keep it all tracked in there. And that's just great just getting it in because you've created it in Resolve, so whatever you see on your monitor, you apply that in your final, in, in Resolve, when you're doing your whatever post work, and it's going to look identical. It is the exact same thing. So that's, you know, you're, you're confident that you, you know what you're getting. But even better than that is the way that we implement the LUTs actually in the Odyssey 7, 7Q and 7Q+. Uh, other systems are just sort of taking a LUT and just throws it on top of everything. That's it, you got it in there. We don't do that. We allow you to choose exactly where and how you would ever apply the LUT. And it's a whole routing system. Uh, there's the OLED screen, and so you can say, well, turn on the LUT so on the OLED screen so I can see what that looks like. Or you have uh, the SDI 1 output to another monitor. Or you have the SDI 2 output to another monitor. Or you have the HDMI output to another monitor. Or you have our imaging tools, the uh, waveform and the false color mode and all those devices to actually read what the image looks like. This is really powerful. If I have, let's say I'm looking at whatever shot and I go ahead and I put a LUT on it so I can see a normal kind of looking color image. And let's say the window's blown out in the background. I don't need a waveform telling me it's blown out. I'm looking at it, I can see it's blown out. What I really need to know is in the log or the raw, what's that signal like? Do I have detail in there? Do I need to do something about my exposure to try and adjust for it? To have that at a glance without having to swap back and forth and keep tapping the thing to see, you know, that's really powerful. 
Now you can make them all the same if you want, so you don't have to like keep track of what's what and stuff. And we have labeling on there, and so you'll always know what the things are. But if you just don't want to worry about that, you can always make them the same. But you can completely separate what they're all doing. So imagine you're using the Odyssey as your on-camera monitor, and you can look just look at the picture, and that's blooded, and you can see what that is, and you fine. And then you have your tools, and your tools are telling you. Uh, what the log signal is, and so you can see that with knowing what the original signal is about. And then you have SDI output number one, and that's doing the same thing so that an engineer can look at that. And then you have SDI output number two, and it's not LUDed, and it has the tools showing you the not LUD, so you can actually measure what the thing is for whatever use. And then you have HDMI output, and that's going to your client, and they have a LUDed image, but with no tools on the screen, so that they just have a clean like finished kind of looking picture. You swap and switch this stuff any which way you want. You can, whatever, you know, whatever the way I'm, that's one way of working, but I'm, you can have a dozen combinations of different ways you could set that up for whatever makes sense for you in the way that you want to work. So that's a very, very powerful tool. That, I mean, we're talking about replacing an entire cart worth of equipment in this one inch thick box, you know. And that's going to come out when? That's coming up at the end of the month. That's going to be at the end of the month. Probably for the uh, high frame rates, that's probably going to be uh, in May sometime, end of May likely. And we have another function, which is dual stream. Now we've been talking about our multi-stream system, the, the, having four images at once. We've had that you know, from the beginning to just for viewing. This is dual stream has different aspects to it, and some are free, most are free, and then there's some that are paid as well. So first thing in dual stream is a picture in picture. You, Dual stream, two images at once. So in two HD video signals can take two signals in at once. It can be one can be SDI and the other can be either SDI or HDMI. Right? However you want to look at it. And you can take those two things at once and you can look at them like picture in picture, so a large and a small frame, and you swap back and forth, or you can have them side by side, or you can switch between them, right? So you have two at once. And you can record one of them. So you can be recording one while having looking at a second image. And this is for free. There's no additional charge. Think of this in two different ways you could use this. You're doing a two-camera shoot, you know, one cameraman, but he's, they ask him to do an interview and they get that weird side angle, the, the interview subject or whatever, or get a reverse shot of the interviewer so they get the every rare time they ask a question. You can have the main camera, the A camera, and you, it's your monitor and recorder on top of your camera, and then you have the feed going from the other one so you can compare and make sure that the exposure and you know, framing, whatever, and they match. Fine, that's, that's an easy one. Another one is that a lot of these cameras have different, have multiple outputs. And one of them could be completely clean, just a regular signal that you record that. And the other one might have like your menu information, your heads up display with, you know, battery life and where the zoom is and stuff like that. So you could have it on your camera and be viewing that, and so you're setting your shot and having that information up on the screen, but at the same time, the same device is recording a completely clean signal. And it's recording an Apple ProRes, any of the three flavors of Apple ProRes that we, we currently have available. All of that, no additional charge. That's gonna be coming maybe May, maybe June. Also, we will have a record option to it, which is dual stream recording. Record both of them at the same time, two separate 1920 by 1080 fi video files, right? So in Apple ProRes, each of them their own signal, and you're just recording. It's like having two recorders in one. You're recording the two of them simultaneously. 
If you want to have that, that is an, a, a paid uh, upgrade. That's uh, $995 or $99 a day. And get that included. Now, eventually, we'll have that for up to four signals. That'll be the quad version of the, the multi-stream. When we do that, if you, you know, for a lot of people, two is plenty. But if you want to be able to have the quad, we haven't set a price. We don't know all the different things we're going to add to that functionality. Uh, so whatever it is, you'll just, if you want to upgrade, you'll just pay the difference. So there's no penalty to getting the dual stream because that's all we have available at first. If you want to upgrade, you just pay the difference in price and you're all set. Another thing we're going to do, see, lots of announcements. Another thing we're doing is with the raw signals. Now, with different cameras, FS7, FS700, Alexa, uh, C500, we support the Scion now. They were different bundles. They were different uh, 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 things that you could, a license that you would purchase. So a record option for one would be one price, and a record option for another would be another price. We've eliminated that. It's all one thing now. It's the Odyssey Raw Bundle. One price, $995, gets you all of them. You get to record from any of these cameras. And if we add any in the future, I mean, we just are adding uh, uh, three new cameras and this, you know, we're announcing here today. So if we, as we add more raw cameras, another raw camera comes out that has an output that we can accept and stuff, great, you know, we'll work with the manufacturer, we'll take the signal. It'll be part of that bundle at no additional cost. Once you've bought that bundle, you just, it'll be a, there'll be a firmware update and you'll have access to that one too. That includes when you get the, take the raw and then you turn it into some form of ProRes. Anything that's working with that raw signal, it's all included in the Odyssey raw bundle. $9.95 or $99 a day to rent it. So I actually bought one of the original Odyssey 7Qs and I used it with my FS700 and I got I purchased the, the raw license for that so that I rec could record 4K um, and then I also got a GH4 and an A7S and I, and, I, and I knew that I had to get the upgraded 7Q Plus so that I could take the HDMI in uh, and I got the loyalty upgrade thing and uh, took advantage of all our I took advantage I still I still have a uh, credit I guess okay. $500 okay. credit sticking in my account so for example say I get a C300 uh, Mark II which I'm thinking of possibly getting um, what would I what would be my path well you, what you're saying is you would like to be able to move into having the bundle I think so and we have not determined exactly how we're going to work it but we, are, we knew it was going to be a question. We were very cognizant of it. We don't want to penalize our early adoptees. So we will have a path. We just have to figure out what it's going to be. And we'll, you know, as soon as we figure out exactly what makes sense and how we're going to make everything work, we'll announce it to everyone. And you know, we, want, we want everyone to have the, the bundle. We want that that's the way to move forward in the future. It's less confusing for them, for us, for everyone. It's just better. You want you to have access. So we'll figure something out, and then we'll let everybody know. That's great. Um, you know, when I filled out my feedback for what, what do I think I, you could actually do in the future, or maybe a new product, I actually said, is there something where you could have like a mini 4K recorder? Something maybe that didn't even have a screen. You know, it's always possible. And we're looking, you know, when, when someone says, what's on the horizon? We always, we have so many like possible project things in the works. And everyone gets nervous, like, oh, you're going to replace what you think? Like, no, you're an idiot as a company if you don't think about what you could do next because everybody else is you know so we got to always think about what else we might do we'll see we'll see what it might be the danger by the way of having a 4k recorder that doesn't have a screen to keep it small the danger would be for us 
that's our interface, right? We use a touch screen, so that we'd have to have you'd have to have some physical other interface, right, to be able to make settings and stuff. Maybe an iPhone. Maybe, but who knows? But then the other part, it, but then you have to like link them together to get it to do stuff. And then the other thing is like it's nice to be able to see your shot, you know, be able to. It's a really nice monitor too. So it, you know, uh, who knows? We look at the possibilities of lots of different things. There is one more announcement that we made, and it's a pretty big one. It's a pretty nice one that we have. We make our own SSDs. We have made an OEM manufacturer. And it's never been something that we were like looking to make a lot of money off people with selling them fancy, overpriced SSDs. No, it's not about that at all. It's because we needed drives that would keep up with all the different data rates and all the different functionality that we do. We just it's your shot. I mean, it's this is the what you're doing everything for. It's got to absolutely work. Never drop a frame. Never have any kind of formatting issue. Just never ha can't draw too much power. Some SSDs draw four times as much power as others. It's crazy. You want it, that generates heat too, and you know other issues. So you just want to make everything absolutely perform, and you just don't ever have to think about it. It has to be totally reliable. So we had to manufacture our own drives. Costs us a lot of money, frankly. I mean, you know, these things are expensive because it costs us a lot to have them, and it, we have to put out a lot of money. We have to buy huge amounts of them in order to get them to ma be made for us and stuff. We'd be very happy if there was just some drive that you, know, oh, we can just use these things, and you know, we never have to think about it. What we have now found in our testing, we've discovered there are well, in testing, we finally found ones that could keep up to the level of performance that we have in our own drives, that what we need to, that we could say, all right, this works for Odyssey. So Samsung makes the 850 EVO type drive, and they have two sizes that will keep up, which is 500 gig and 1000 gig, so almost a terabyte. And the prices are dramatically less than we charge for ours. Great, we're, with our next firmware, we're gonna open up the use of those two drives, only those two. If you stick any other drive in, it'll just say not supported. So we just want to protect you that <laughs> stuff works. You try and put in a different size of those drives, won't work. Try to put in a similar model, but it's not quite the same, not gonna work. Because we know that those two can do all the different things that we require in a drive to be confident in saying, all right, you can use this and this is gonna be supported. So, you know, we fully understand that people they're on a budget, and you know, the, this, you know, doing like a long-form documentary, you're doing lots and lots of high speed or whatever, it can get very expensive with lots and lots of media. Sure, we want to we want to be able to open this up to people, and you know, you're going to go and get the Samsung drive. The only thing that we'll say is that, you know, we warranty our own drives because we make them. So you know, it's our product; we stand behind it absolutely. With the Samsung drive. We're not going to totally abandon you. We're going to see if we can help. If, if, I mean, nothing goes wrong with these things. Nothing goes wrong anyway. But if ever there was something to go wrong, with our own drives, we'll go, you know, go crazy doing every, anything we have to in order to try and, you know, make sure your media is okay and you know, whatever. But with the Samsung drives, we'll do what we can, but we, we, uh, we certified the use. We, we, I guess we, we, we uh, what would be the word? We... We open to the use to, to these drives. We qualify. We have qualified them so they can do it. But, you know, the warranty comes from Samsung, not from us at that point, because it's not our product. Do you actually know what the street prices are on the drives you mentioned? The 500, I think, is selling for around 250 and the, the, the 1,000 is selling for under 400 
That's good. You know, you're talking about a third of the price of what ours are. Now, I mean, you know, if you're if you're a rental house or a, uh, a government work or major insurance bond kind of production, then you're gonna you're gonna use our drives, I imagine, because that you know we warranty them. But uh, if you're an independent filmmaker and stuff, and you're just trying to get something done, please. Be our guests. Use the Samsung drives. They they work great. You know the the only difference that you know the little handles that we have that we clip them into the Odyssey. We'll sell those you know through our dealer network. You know haven't set a price, but you know you buy a five pack of them for a few bucks. Kind of it's not going to be any big deal. And that's way you can mount them in the drives and in the Odyssey, and you're all set. That's great. So I'm asking this of all the all the manufacturers. What's what's the most what are you the most excited about in your in this product? The thing that I, personally, what are you most excited about? Personal, what I most excited about in this product? Wow, it's, I mean, there's so many things like it. I think, I think the fact that it is everything that we do is on such an absolute professional level. It's there's nothing kind of science experimenty about it. Kind of works, and you kind of. You, you use it with this caveat of like, well, I know it's kind of no. We we are designing a professional. We have we got a professional tool for professional users. Everyone else can use it too, and we're very happy about it. But uh, we make it for the most demanding client, and we want to make it that way because I can sleep better at night. That's great. Well, thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you, Keith Morrell here with Tech Move signing off. You know, Mitch Gross of Convergent Design, thank you very much, Mitch, for uh, joining us and taking our, uh, that time out to speak uh, to the tech move uh, world. Um, he was talking to you, Keith. I mean, you know, what he's <laughs> saying is that he's they're making professional stuff for the most discerning user. That's you. He's talking completely <laughs> about you. So that's got to make you feel good. It was, it was actually great because I've actually invested a lot in their in their stuff, right? You know, and and there wasn't really a choice back when I first bought it. They were the first people to produce the 4K recorders for the FS700, and they're still pretty rare. Um, but and and I kind of I'm kind of a loyal customer because I waited a long time for actually to be practical because at first it could only record raw, and that was not very useful because it's just so much data. You well, we and, and we covered that in one yeah. of our uh, episodes, and I, I remember how somewhat distraught you were, uh, at, you know, at that, and you know, you knew it was there was going to be a fix coming down the road, yeah. And, and and I think you know they're here now. They're here now, and and then um, in about September or so, they uh, were finally coming out with their ProRes version. We're talking September of 2014. They were finally coming out with a ProRes version that recorded. Uh, ProRes, the 4K, but in ProRes, it, it was a lot less data, and then uh, and then it was going. We're going, yes, yes, and then we thought maybe it would also support 4K recording with the HDMI input on the on the A7S and the GH4, and and then they promptly came out with a new model. <laughs> yeah, the Odyssey right. 7Q Plus, and then so all the old 7Q owners were kind of upset because they kind of felt like, oh great, we have this old thing and it can't even do this. Kind of like how Apple users are whenever they buy a new iPhone, <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> or change the interface, right? But yeah, but um, but actually, 
Convergent Designer was actually pretty, pretty um, stand up about about honoring the the feelings of the original owners, and the, and they had this loyalty program, which actually turned out pretty good. It was actually a pretty good deal. We could get the new Seven Q. Um, they also re reduced the price of it by including these hard drives that they used to sell externally uh, for a lot of money, and they actually just threw them in, and they gave us a a free um, update for the recording of raw on the odyssey because Ooh. when you for, when you buy the odyssey it's kind of it, it can only record uh 1080p it can't record raw um and you have to actually buy these like licenses to make it record raw of certain types of cameras and so i had to pay i think another it was a lot it was like 700 bucks or something to add the rec raw recording option to the 7q they actually threw that in if you were a 7q owner you could you could get it upgraded on the 7q plus for free if you oh, want that's not, uh, that's a pretty good thing. Yeah, that was actually really a really um, nice gesture, and they also gave us a five hundred dollar credit for anything any new licenses in the future. Like if we got another camera, they needed to record, and they we needed to add that license. We could apply five hundred dollars to that to that license. So it was actually it was pretty generous. Cool. I think that's they did great. what they could. Yeah. Hey, uh, there was one thing he mentioned. You know, out of the many things he mentioned uh, yeah. uh, within the interview. Uh, what in the world is 3D LUTs? <laughs> I, I don't know what LUTs is. It's I mean, one, like it's one more D than a 2D LUT, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, my math skills aren't that great, but that I understood. But what in the world is a LUT? A LUT stands for look up table, L-U-T. Hmm. And okay. it's basically a way of mapping one color. Um, to another color, or or one value in in a in a in a image to a color. So um, it's it's so what happens is when you record in a log format, if you actually look at that log format, so log is kind of a it's a way of increasing the dynamic range of a image. It's not it's it's not really recording reality. It's actually changing it so that the deficiencies of the recording format are kind of um, canceled out by the log format. So it's just a way of recording more values in a certain area than in other in another area. Um, and but if you actually look at it, it looks bad. It looks kind of like, almost like a black and white TV screen. Like like if you show this log file to your clients, they'll fire you. <laughs> so okay so 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 you have to before you show it to your clients right or before you really work on it you need to um apply a lut and it basically just kind of reverses the curve so it oh, takes okay. yeah so log is not reality it kind of reverses that log to make it look real again mm. kind of kind of like you recorded it and the, and the 3d lut is just a, a more advanced um way of mapping has more values associated with each color. So it can be more complicated. So there um, always was just a one LUT, two LUT. Now there's the 3D LUT. The 2D LUTs are actually the m more common ones because they're easier to implement in, okay. in computers. Um, 3D LUTs just require more computing power to display them, but they're actually even more accurate. Mm, um, okay. So th it's better to have a 3D LUT if you can afford it. Okay. Yeah. So so basically what so what what happens is if you actually look at the monitor when you're in log format, if you look at your little like LCD screen, it looks bad and it's really hard to focus too because everything's kind of washed out. So there's very little contrast. 
So, so what you do is you, you run it through the, like the convergent design Odyssey 7Q and you apply this LUT and you can apply it to whatever uh, camera LUT that you're using. So there might be a Sony S-Log LUT or an S-Log 2 LUT. So you apply that and then it actually reverses what the camera is, is, is applying and makes it look kind of real. So you can actually look at it and say, yeah, that actually looks good instead of, I can't tell if it's good or not. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And then also if your clients are seeing it, like if they're behind you watching you, you want to click that on so they don't fire you. <laughs> so, so it looks fairly decent when, yeah. when they're looking at it because they don't know what's happening anyway. Right, right. What's kind of interesting, though, is that in recent years, um, you know, low, recording low contrast is kind of a way to get more dynamic range out of something. And then later you reverse it and make it look sharper and more deeper blacks. But a lot of um, pe- a lot of people didn't bother to change to 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 reverse that and and kind of make it look more real and so people kind of got used to this very low contrast look (laughs) almost like a log look and 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 a lot of people even like that now (laughs) oh really yeah just because it seems like it looks more like film or something so it's just basically the the blacks are a little bit are gray instead of really black. That's one way of kind of looking at it. That's so, so. funny. That's so funny. <laughs> now they're getting to the point where it could look super, uh, uh, like super black, you know, that, that mirror black, right? But eh, we don't want that anymore. We want to go back to like dull gray. It's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, so that's, that's kind of the background of the LUT. So that's actually a, a very, very nice feature. Cool. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, let us, again, thank Mitch Gross, Convergent Design, and uh, let's give them a little plug here. You'll find them on their website, convergent-design.com, and uh, you can read all about the cool Odyssey 7Q Plus and all their other neat products that they have there. Keith, thanks a lot. You're welcome. And we'll come back with more right here on Tech Move. Uh, we are now going to be entering into the world of Canon. And uh, Canon was, of course, uh, very well represented at NAB 2015. And uh, we had a chance to speak to a gentleman there by the name of Paul McNiff. Uh, Keith, how uh, how was that going into the, the Canon booth? That must have been fun. It was It was crazy. It was... Yeah, actually, I like was all, lucky. all the millions of people were at that booth, right? It, Just trying to was, get in a look. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, the X, actually, the XC10 wasn't quite as popular as the C300 Mark II. Right. Um, the C300 Mark II, they only had a couple, it seemed like, in the booth, and everybody wanted to see it. Um, but uh, the XC10 um, is, is a kind of a cool, a nice, nice camera. Um, it's very small, and, uh, and, uh, I felt like since I was at the booth, I probably should also talk about this new camera. Well, you, you know what? Frankly, when, when I was uh, watching the interview, that was almost something that I might actually kind of uh, like. I think it's a, it's a strong possibility. Yeah. Um, and and uh, when it's over, when the interview's over, we can talk a little bit more about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So l- let's uh, let's listen to uh, to, uh, to the uh, well, everything that surrounds the Canon XC10. Uh, this is Paul McNiff of Canon, and of course Keith Moreau of Tech Move. Hi, this is Keith Moreau with Tech Move with a revolutionary new camera. 
by Canon, the XC10. We have Paul McNiff here with Canon. Uh, this is the XC10. So with the C300 Mark II, we kind of gave everybody everything they asked for. This was really surprising to those of us in the company because this was stuff nobody knew that they wanted. And, and, and it's, it's the most fantastic, to, uh, I'll call it, and it's not really this, but I'll call it sort of a hybrid of a power shot point and shoot, an SLR, and a cinema camera. It's very unique. So it has a one inch sensor and it will record 4K. It also uses CFast cards just like the C300. Uh, it uses the same codec. It doesn't have as high of a bit rate. It's only 305 megabits per second, and it only does UHD. So it'll do 3840 by 2160. How about the bit depth? The bit depth is only 8-bit, and it's a 422. Um, it's a fairly inexpensive camera at $2,500. Uh, the sensor allows you to shoot that 1-inch sensor, which is a very interesting size because it's larger than 2 thirds, but it's obviously smaller than Super 35. It fits into really, really interesting places. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, where do you think this camera fits? And I said, well, look at it. It fits almost anywhere. For example, they, in uh, the film that we're showing here that was shot by Gail Tattersall, they used it. There's a scene where they're playing a game of pool. They actually mounted this on the front of the pool cue to get the pool cue's POV shot when they were hitting some, some of the balls. Um, the lens is 24 to 240. Now, it does ramp rather quickly, but it really only ramps two stops. It's 2.8 to 5.6. One of the great features about it here is this piece can be removed, and this is included. It's got a regular LCD on the back, like you would expect from a camera like this. But having this piece here allows you to shoot outdoors. So, you know, you can't really see the LCD screen when you're out in the sunshine. It also shoots still images. Now, this is where... I say that it's kind of similar to an SLR because it will shoot 12 megapixel stills and it has a mechanical shutter. So it's not just like a power shoot shot where you're doing, you know, just that little scan. So I asked you about the uh, Canon C300 Mark II. What's the most exciting thing for you about this camcorder? Oh, the everything about this, the fact that it exists. It's, I mean, it was such an unexpected thing and then it's just really, really cool. Being able to shoot UHD on something and 12 megapixel stills. Um, it's not shipping until June and I'm going on vacation in May. So that's my biggest disappointment about it. Great. Well, thank you very much, Paul. No problem. Thank you. Keith Moreau here with TechMove at the Canon booth signing off. Paul McNiff of Canon talking about the XC10. And hey, Keith, you know, I got to tell you that this is something that has kind of sparked my interest. Um, you know, reason being, let's face it, I'm too cheap to buy, uh, you know, a 5D Mark 20, you know, that that's going to be, you know, coming out. And, you know, it's, it, you know, my price point is going to be, you know, the GH4 type of thing. But this is going to kind of be right in that wheelhouse. Um, you know, your thoughts? My thoughts are that I think jury's out until we actually get a chance to use it. Yeah. You know, it's on paper, it doesn't look that great. It's just kind of like a weird camcorder that I does think, 4K. I do think the weird thing is that uh, I, I, I think it's a fixed lens. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a fixed lens. Yeah, that kind of sucks. A, it's actually pretty good range. It's like a two, 24 to 240 millimeter range, which is actually quite a bit for a large sensor camera, but yeah. it's not that large of a sensor camera. So it's a, it's a one inch sensor. So it's actually smaller than a micro four thirds. 
so all the all the things that we want in a you know, the reason we get a we film with a DSLR is for the large sensors, right? And so, so you don't think this will th- th- this will not have that? It, in order to get that kind of shallow depth of field, you're going to have to have it wide open um, on its lens, and that would be a wide angle. So you're not really going to get shallow depth of field on wide angle. It's much harder to get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to have to maybe zoom in, and and that's the only way you're going to have to. That's the only way you're going to be able to get that that really shallowed up the field and it's not even going to be that shallow. Right. Right. Even when you zoom in. So it's kind of like almost like the old camcorder days where the only way you could emulate that, that out of focus background is to zoom in. Yeah. would be to zoom in. So it kind of, and so they actually had, so I went to the Canon theater where they actually played sample films uh, of the C 300 Mark II and this camera. They played this one second, second. It was actually a really great, funny film. It was about this, old man who's obviously a young person in makeup um beating up these these uh these criminals on the street and doing all these i don't know what it's called but you know when they like run up the stairs and do all these acrobatics and jump and oh isn't that like streets. urban ninja type of yeah, stuff yeah yeah it was like urban ninja right which just, i do on uh, on tuesdays i know you do that thank yeah. you but thank so you'd probably you probably could find this film i don't i don't know what it's called but it's probably out there or at least after NAB, it might be out there okay um but so I looked, and it looked good. It actually didn't look bad. Shot with the XC10. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it was completely shot with the XC10. It was very professionally done. I mean, it could have been something you saw on TV, you know, like on a TV, like episodic TV. Um, there wasn't really any of that nice, creamy, shallow depth of field okay. that we that we like in our DSLRs and the large sensors. So it looked okay. Obviously, it can shoot a professional film. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows what other support gear they had? But um, so I think jury, until I get one in my hands, film it and uh, film with it and look at it. For me, jury's out. For me, almost I'd rather just get a 4K, you know, small Sony camcorder mm-hmm. because it's smaller and you know cheaper to use. So uh, w- would this kind of go? M- maybe this uh, they're marketing against like the uh, the Panasonic, not the not the GH four, but the that other one that we were talking about. Um, I forgot what it's called. The other four K uh, yeah. kind of point and shoot that they have, Lux one hundred or something. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Actually, yeah. it's probably competing more against the GH four because that's it's more in the price range because the GH four is more like sixteen k sixteen hundred. Yeah. And this is like 2400 maybe right. the street price will be less. Right. So they probably are kind of aiming at the GH4 market. Yeah. I think it's I think it's actually almost a direct aim at them. Um now in in a way it, the only way that it, it's going to beat the GH4 is the image quality. That's right. the only way it's going to beat it cuz in almost every other way I don't think it's going to beat it. Like light sensitivity um uh, any kind of video assist aids um you know, in-camera recording on SD cards. You're not going to be able to do that on this one. This one, you have to use a, a CFast card, I think. Correct. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, we'll see. But, you know, that's the thing about Canon. They, they release stuff that doesn't seem that great mm-hmm. on paper. But then when you actually use it, it's it's superb. It's like it makes you, you just have to buy it. So, we'll see. So, the thing we're, we're kind of wondering is whether or not it's going to have just that, that uh, trademarked, canon look right out of the box correct yeah and the trademark look that i'm talking about is from a large sensor right so which this is definitely not going to give you but we'll see what they come up with yeah we'll see all right 
All right, yeah. good. Uh, that is, again, uh, Paul McNiff from Canon. Okay, thanks a lot, Keith, for, uh, for talking about the XC10. And uh, we'll come back with more right here on Tech Move. I have to imagine that pretty much 80 to 90% of the patrons visiting NAB 2015 were there to see the C300 Mark II. Uh, the Canon booth must have been incredible. How in the world did you score an interview with Paul McNiff uh, of Canon? And uh, I mean, like, I know Tech Move has a pretty large cachet, <laughs> but I just didn't realize that, you know, we could get that kind of uh, momentum going. Tech Move has some. Uh you we're greased he- a lot of palms, didn't greased you? You a lot greased of a lot of palms. Yeah. Right. We're, we're heavy hitters. <laughs> when they see us with that iPad, the <laughs> DIY cord, and the 30-year-old mic, they clear their boards. They kick out NBC, CBS, and the other CNET and all the Dan other... Dan, rather you sit over there. We got Keith Moreau from Tech Move for you right now. Is my makeup Okay. <laughs> So actually, yeah, I went there Monday and I tried to, tried to, I went up to, they have this kind of nice little kind of welcome, uh, kiosk, um, where there's obviously just people there to kind of direct you. And I just said, Hey, you know, we want to interview somebody high powered about the Canon C300 Mark II. And they said, Hmm, okay. Do you have a card? And (laughs) he said, uh, yeah, I can make one. Can I go to the bathroom and get a square, please? And they said, no, no, it's okay. Just write it on this pad. So, um, yeah, those tech move cards are, are, yeah, they're, they're, they got lost in the mail, That's but, right. uh, <laughs> I have to reorder them. That's I right. I give out I'm so sorry. many. I just run out all the time, but, I'm, uh, I'm always trying for the free lunches at, uh, at McDonald's. So I throw it into the fishbowl. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, uh, I wrote it on the little note and this lady took it and I got her name and I always photographed the badges of the of the people I talked to so I can remember them later. Cool. But um yeah, so then I came back like an hour later and the the piece the note was kind of one of those those memo, those pink like call memo things. Sure. Um forms. Uh it was just still there right right where I left it. And <laughs> <laughs> but uh so I so I talked to somebody again and and just actually I think it was just kind of lucky but behind sitting just sitting kind of resting was a guy that like a really high powered guy. And he kind of got interested in, in, and he had a he had a uh, SLR in his hand, and so we started talking, and he started helping me. He said, "Yeah, we'll get you, we'll get you somebody." So, um, so he and another person arranged and look at the schedule, and they had this um, <laughs> very high tech schedule. This is like a big spread paper spreadsheet with all kinds of wrinkles. It was like three feet long, and that <laughs> they pulled out with all the different interviews that they had scheduled for this camera, and it was like a hundred there was like a hundred interviews um, scheduled. And finally we got a block in, and I think it was like 1130 on Tuesday was our, was our block. Wow. So um, yeah. So we showed up a little bit early, got there. Um, there was one. So the, what they usually do is they have these PR guys that kind of intercept you. You don't go directly to the interview. Um, you kind of go to this PR person first and then they kind of intercept you and kind of talk to you and, make sure you're okay. And then, then they find the right guy for you. So they found this guy, Paul McNiff, who's, he's really, he's great. 
he's he's a he's a nice person. He's very humble, and yet he's extremely knowledgeable. Yeah, he seems really super up on the product. Yeah. So we, um, I said, so he said, what do you want to? I said, I definitely want to do the C three hundred Mark II. And he says, do you? And I said, we need to go, you know, where the camera is. And so they had a, actually kind of a set there. A lot of the um, the video um, manufacturers have kind of a couple set, one or two sets where it's really well lit. And they actually have these actors like repeating the same moves and doing stuff like over and over again, like, you know, cutting something in the kitchen and, you know, and these, it must be like the mo- most boring job ever, but, <laughs> but they're, <laughs> but just, they're probably getting paid pretty well to yeah, do it too. Yeah. And, and so uh, there was a C300 Mark II kind of pointed at the scene and it was, cu- and it was actually one of the few places that it was somewhat lit where, I could actually stand there with Paul and we could be kind of lit and actually record at the same time and see the camera. So we found this one spot and there were just all these people there. And then actually the PR guy was with me for a while. We were talking and waiting in line. And then all these people started coming in in front of us to look at the C300 Mark II, which was on a tripod, just kind of pointing at, at the scene. And, and then, and Paul came and we waited about maybe five or 10 minutes for Paul. And by that time, there were all these people in front of us. And then we just kind of waited with Paul until these people went away. Cause it would have been impl- impolite to like kick them out. And finally we were down to the last couple people that were just kind of looking at the camera. And it just seemed like they wanted to spend like their whole day looking at this camera <laughs> Oh, <I'll laughs> in bet. front of, in front of us. They were just talking and this and that. And sure. And finally the PR guy just said, I, I think I'm going to have to kick him out. So he went over and uh, just talked to them. They, they were kind of nonplussed, but since he was a Canon rep, they uh, <laughs> they they left. And we finally got to the C300 Mark II. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that is great. That's yeah. great. Well, this is a coup for uh, for tech moves. Yeah. So uh, oh, one l- thing I want to mention: uh, Paul actually um, made a little mistake when he like the first thing he said out of his mouth was that it records 2K internally. Right. And I, I remember that. Yeah. It actually records 4K internally. So oh, I just, good. I, yeah. I was kind of thinking. I, w- yeah. I was kind of thinking. I said, "Hmm, is that something we want to promote?" Yeah, and I didn't want to just say, "You mean 4K, right, Paul?" Like right in front of him, in front right. of his boss, and all, you know, I didn't want to. <laughs> oh, right. Actually, we. It was funny because when while we were waiting, um, this PR guy who was kind of he was a nice guy, but he was I didn't really think he was necessary, and I just so you don't have to be here right during the interview, um, and because you know it's like the more people around, the more supervision. It seems like you might get a little uncomfortable you know palm sure. it and, I, and he says no that's that's um yeah i don't need to be here i said because you know I, you don't need to supervise paul right and and i said because you know because if you when you leave i'm going to ask him all the dirt <laughs> <laughs> and then he said uh, i'm going to be staying <laughs> that's, great. that's great yeah so right. um but actually paul did great uh, just that one thing it's actually 4k internally and that's the only thing so don't be confused when you hear that Okay. All right. Great. Great to know. Good. Let's get to the interview right now. Uh, Paul McNiff of Canon, along with Keith Moreau of Tech Move. Hi, this is Keith Moreau here with Tech Move, and we're here with the highly anticipated uh, interview with Paul McNiff of Canon, and we're going to talk about the new C300 Mark II. Paul? I, I didn't know I was highly anticipated. Um <laughs> Okay, so the C300 Mark II, obviously the most exciting and spoken of advancement from this Mark II is going to be that it shoots 2K internally. Uh, it does that using our new codec, which is an MPEG-4 variant. It's our, our version of the ABC codec, what we call XF ABC. Maximum bit rate on that 
is going to be 410 megabits per second. That's going to be 10-bit as well. It's also going to carry over the other things that were done in the C500 externally. It'll do 2K at 10-bit. It'll also do 2K at 12-bit. Now, the 10-bit will be RGB444. The 12-bit is going to be uh, 422. So what are the different resolutions that we can record internally from the highest to the lowest? That would be, you can do uh, 4K DCI, uh, 4096 by 2160. You can do UHD, 3840 by 2160. Uh, you can do 2K, 10 or 12 bit, and then you can also do HD, 1920 by 1080. So. Um Prior to, the, uh, prior to this interview, we were talking about the, the new uh, Canon sensor, newly designed Canon sensor. Why don't you talk about that? Right. Well, we've got three different things that pertain to exposure capability. Uh, so I'll go a little bit beyond the sensor in this answer. I'll give, uh, I'll, I'll give you some meat here. So we have a new sensor that allows for expanded ISO. We've got a new gamma curve that allows for expanded dynamic range. And then we have a new filter system that allows for expanded neutral density. And they all work together. Starting with the sensor. The sensor gathers more light. So one of the things that we did in order to make it gather more light was we took the micro lens on each photo site. So what we call a pixel on a sensor isn't really a pixel. Pixel is short for picture element. So it's really not a pixel until it's turned into an actual image. We just call it that because it's easier to speak of it that way. The photo site has inside of it a photo diode. In the case of Canon sensors on Cinema EOS cameras, we have the dual pixel autofocus system. Again, it's really not dual pixel, but it's two photodiodes in there. Now, I'll talk about the focusing system later, but one of the things that we did on this was we took the micro lens. So on each one of these, is a, each one of these photodiodes, or pixels, if you will, are these photosites, there's a little tiny piece of glass called a micro lens. We've redesigned those so that all of the light that enters through that photo site is going to go, well, not all necessarily, but substantially more, is going to reach that photo diode. Because even in that very, very tiny environment, it's not the entire bottom of that photo site that is a diode that's going to be absorbing light. So there's certainly going to be a little bit of fall off. You may remember, uh, remember a few years back on, say, the 7D, the original 7D, one of the advancements was the uh, gapless micro lens, so there was no fall off in between the photo sites. This is kind of doing the same thing internally. So because of that, it absorbs more light. If it absorbs more light, that means that there's less noise because there's less gain that has to be added when you go into higher ISOs. So it's got much better low light performance because it's a brand new sensor. Up to this point, the C100, 100 Mark II, 300, and 500 all had the same sensor. Now this has got the next generation. Along with that, we've got expanded ISO. The ISO now goes up to 102,400. Now, I'm not going to tell you there's no noise in that because it's 102,400. But, like I said, the performance is much better in terms of reducing the noise at higher ISOs. We also expanded the ISO in the other direction. Previously, you couldn't go any lower than 320. Now you can go down to 100. So the new gamma curve plays into this ISO advancement. The new gamma, cur gamma curve, which is our log 2 curve, uh, that allows for 15 stops of dynamic range, whereas previously we only had 12. 15 makes it a high dynamic range camera. It's, this is now an HDR device. Here's the thing, the base ISO is 800. Previously it was the optimal ISO is 850, which allowed you your best performance above and below 18% gray, which is how we judge our exposure index. When you're down at 100 ISO on the Mark II, you're going to have more detail in the dark areas, whereas the detail in the highlight areas of that 15 stops of dynamic range doesn't reach its peak performance until you get to 800. Well, if you're in a really highly lit environment, let's say you're shooting on a beach outdoors and you're shooting wide open because you want a shallow depth of field, 
which is the way a lot of people shoot, especially when they're doing cinema. You're going to want to maintain that highlight detail, so you're going to want the performance that you get from our dynamic range at 800 or higher. So in order to help manage that without having to put any accessories on the camera, we took our existing neutral density system uh, filter system, which was really well received. The reason it was really well received was because we didn't do any layering of filters in it. We had an individual two-stop, four-stop, and six-stop filter instead of putting pieces of glass in front and behind each other. Those were all on one filter wheel. Well, now we've taken them and split them among two filter wheels. So we still have an individual two, four, and six stop filter, but we've got clear windows on some of those wheels. So you can now take the six stop and layer it with the two stops, so you have eight stops, then layer it with the four stops, so you get a maximum of 10 stops of neutral density, so that you can use 15 stops of dynamic range at 800 ISO. In most situations, I mean, if you need more neutral density, that's what filters are for. That's why filter companies exist. I actually uh, read about that. And I had a little bit of questions, uh, a, a few questions about how the two work together. Is, is, for example, if I just have an L series lens, uh, EF lens on it, will the will the dual neutral densities neutral densities work seamlessly? Um, I'm not quite sure I understand what you mean by seamlessly. I thought there was some type of additional back focus required when you had the two in there. Maybe it was just my misunderstanding. Yeah, you, do, you do have to go into the menu and you have to expand the neutral density system. So say, say I just had the single wheel on, the, the primary uh, neutral density wheel in. If I wanted to go to the, uh, the, the, the higher neutral density with the secondary wheel, I'd have to go into the menu system? Well, actually, this, the filter, the six-stop filter is on the second wheel. It's an electronic system, so you're just hitting these buttons here. In order to get them to start to layer with each other, that's when you have to go into the menu and just turn on that feature. Got it. Otherwise, they'll work independently. The camera will know that you want, when you go from four to six, it has to give you a clear window and then the six-stop filter. Gotcha. So um, I actually have some external recorders. Can you talk about the external recording capabilities? Well, externally, it's going to put out 4K RAW or 2K uncompressed, HD uncompressed, or you can do uh, anything really that you could have done in the 500, but you get more dynamic range. You don't have as many frame rates. Uh, as far as which recorders are going to be compatible, there are cameras out there that already accept our RMF files, which is our raw media format. That's what the extension stands for. It always takes time when a new device comes out to, for the, those manufacturers to have them talk back and forth to each other. I do know that we have a film that we're showing here in our 4K, 2K HD theater that shows all sorts of different things, but we had a short film that was shot by Gail Tattersall using this camera as well as the, uh, the XC10. And I know for this, they were using a codex recorder on that. So I know that the codex has already at least worked with us to make that compatible. How much the other ones have, uh, the other manufacturers such as Convergent Design and AJA, uh, how compatible they are at this point remains to be seen, but they're all going to get on board with it because they've been really good partners with us previously on the C500. That's great. Paul, what is for you the most exciting thing about this new camera? Um, I don't know. M maybe that you can light up the buttons. I mean, it's a simple thing, but if you have a camera that you can use to shoot in the dark, you should be able to see the buttons in the dark. <laughs> Um, that's a simple thing, uh, but you know, in many ways, I'm a simple man. Um, a lot of the ergonomics of it, uh, things that really need to be on the outside accessible on the camera, changing my gain with the push of a button, my shutter with the push of a button, having a start-stop here that's bright red and I can see it when I'm an AC standing over here and I have to operate it that way. Those little things get me really excited. 
recording internally 4K to the CFast cards. That's hugely exciting. I think, though, the best feature about it is the 15 stops at dynamic range. Because we've had people go, really? 15 stops? And then everybody who's worked on our short film and who's really seen the camera perform, they're like, yeah, 15 stops. It's, it's great. And that's a lot. And that's, that's one of the big things at the show right now. We've also got advanced color spaces in this. So we have Rec 2020. We have our proprietary cinema gamut, which is designed to encompass all of the, the color space that is um, within some of the more popular film stocks that have a long legacy in the cinema industry. So if you want to kind of match to that, we've got a color space that allows for that. You can shoot P3. You can, shoot, of course, shoot 709 if that's what your project calls for. We have uh, matrix and gamma combination settings that allow you to match to specific cameras. Now, that's, of course, going to take color grading, but if you take the C300, even though it was only an 8-bit camera, it was used alongside a, as a BC camera with the Alexa an awful lot. And, you know, I mean, there's no question that the Alexa is right now the number one camera being used in most projects. And even with 8-bit, they were able to match the color very, very closely, which led to a lot of the success for the C300 in that kind of an environment. We've got different matrix settings now, and I kind of got to use the cheat sheet I can't, can't give you uh, the exact details on which combinations do what, but we do have combinations that you use this matrix and this other setting when you want to match to an Alexa. Use this one when you want to match to Sony or the Ikigami large sensor cameras, etc. That's great, Paul. Well, you've given, me, given us at TechMove uh, an amazing amount of information. I really appreciate your time. All right. Thank you very much. We appreciate you coming by the booth. Keith Moreau with TechMove signing off. Well, Keith, you've seen it up in person. Uh, you, you, you've talked about it at nauseum. What are your thoughts? C three hundred. Well, you know, it's 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 one of those things where I I probably would buy it if it was cheaper. Like it would be a no brainer, right? But I still have to. I'm gonna have to test it. I'm gonna have to maybe rent one when it yeah. comes out and just try it out and see and see how you know how ergonomic it is. And I think it's pretty ergonomic. I think it might be a little heavy for some of the stuff I do. Like this, I use the C. 100 right now and it's pretty light i think this is appreciably heavier and a little bit bulkier so you know i think you know as as with the xc10 a jury's still out i know the image is going to be superb now yeah. it's just the other stuff like the image the the workflow the built-in nds two two sets of nds which is amazing that's actually really useful um and and the codec and the 10-bit recording and the out, raw output which will work with my odysseys i mean it's there's a lot of pluses the only things that i really need to decide on are ergonomics like is it going to work for me in the way that i use the c100 it's going to is it going to be as versatile um or is it just going to be a little bit too heavy but right. you know if if money was not an o obstacle and the ergonomics are okay it's it would be a definite buy so i'm just gonna have to see Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, we want to thank again Paul McNiff of Canon for joining us there. Keith, let's um, let's talk about kind of like our takeaways from NAB 2015 as we wrap up the show uh, today. Uh, what'd you come away with? What What was the most memorable thing? Was it the C300 uh, Mark II? Uh, seeing it there, you know, was it getting a hot dog? But you know, by the <laughs> restrooms, you know, what was it? I think the takeaway was get a press pass. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> don't be like one of those uh, commoners. No, or, uh, don't be a regular person. You got to be press. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bet it's hard to really 
enjoy those things that you got to see if you weren't press. You know, like you don't, you don't, you don't, I mean, you get to look at the new stuff. Okay, great. You get to look at it. You get to read their brochures on this stuff, but you don't get to interact with some of those people that are in there and, and, and find out some of those, you know, uh, great features that, you know, pretty much only they know because they've been working with the thing. Yeah. I felt it was pretty cool. I felt kind of special in yeah. a way. I mean, more than just an average customer. Not that people don't treat, you know, people well but it was just it was pretty cool to have kind of a mission sure and then the mission was investigating this gear that i was really i personally was really interested in yes you know it's like a lot of reporters i think they just you know they have to they're assigned and they have to do it and they may or may not be that interested in this case it was kind of like a dream assignment thanks thanks rod oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're very welcome uh here's one thing that i remember you and i talking offline about this and that is, uh, you probably needed at least another day there. Yeah, I think if I go there next year, it's going to be the whole time. Yeah, there just wasn't enough time to. There, there was just a lot of stuff I didn't have a chance to see. Like I remember in the preview, I talked about the. Uh, I wanted to check out some of the LED lighting. Right. Didn't get a chance to see it. Yeah, none at all. Zero. I mean, I saw it shining in my eyes and blinding me but right. as I passed. But other than that, I didn't see it. <laughs> um, hey, those are good lights. They're blinding me. Let me turn over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to see a lot more of the gimbals. I actually wanted to go to the booth, the Came TV booth, because I have a Came gimbal. And I didn't get a chance to go there. When I first went there, they're all setting up and I didn't want to bother them. And then mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to go back. Um, there were just a bunch of, I didn't really even get a chance to go to the JVC booth at all. I know they have some good camcorders. I didn't get a chance to, to look at the, the, the new Panasonic 4k larger, uh, handicam size. Um, I think it's the HVX 200 or something like that. Anyway, it's their 4k kind of smaller camcorder. Um, yeah. So there was just tons of stuff I didn't get to see, you know, too much stuff, too little time. Yeah. But I also, but but it was really also great to have Veronica along. She just was a trooper. She helped. I couldn't have done it without her. So I right. just wanted to thank her on the air. <laughs> thank you very much, Veronica, for uh, for being there and uh, and holding the uh, the camera uh, as steady as uh, as she did. She did a great job. She really did a fantastic job. And we do owe a lot of these interviews to her and uh and her uh production there so we'll 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 give her credit and uh you know thank you for uh, being being available veronica we appreciate that thanks veronica yep (laughs) all right uh fantastic uh let us my head is spinning from all these (laughs) interviews my head is spinning uh i need a break uh hopefully not too long of a break like meaning we won't record another show for a year <laughs> well well you know we'll we'll get one done pretty soon because uh, we still have a lot to talk about oh, uh, yeah. especially things that you've uh, gotten uh you know even before nab that we want to talk about plus i want to talk about a couple of things that i've picked up along the way great as well great okay yep. keith thank you so much you're welcome rod uh listening audience Thank you so much for joining us. Again, you can always find us on the web, techmovepodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on, uh, uh, where is it, Stitcher. Uh, they can find us on Facebook. All those things. We're, we're all over the place. We're internationally known. Why do you think we were able to be at NAB 2015? Internationally known, folks. 
All right, I'm going to go uh, get something to drink. I'm going to go get something to eat. I'm exhausted. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. It's been a pleasure. We will see you next time on another great episode of Tech Move. Thank you.